Okay, and then I held up an intertitle that said podcast. All right, that was pretty good. Fine. We so finally you were out. Did... You were out of stuff. We finally I wasn't did out that of joke. it. That's the joke everyone's been waiting for me to yeah, make. We finally for did For six it. weeks. I wasn't out of it. I was saving that. You're out of stuff. I'm not out of stuff. You're out of juice. I could f- watch me. I could fucking do it right now. You're, ju- you're like, uh, remember remember that uh, tech company that was like, we made like a great juice pressing Juicero? machine. Juicero. And then people were like, just squeeze it with my hand, bro. I just get the packets <laughs> and I squeeze it with my hand. This is not, I am no mere Juicero machine. No, of course not. How dare I imply that? I never would. Watch me. I could do this. You must always podcast forward, never backward. But I didn't want to do that. No, you wanted to hold up a little intertitle that said podcast. Yeah, and it was funny and everyone loved it and they cheered. It was the thing they were waiting for. I can't hear anything you're saying right now because people are cheering too loud. Thank you. And like Joaquin Phoenix is sort of, he's holding his thumb like this, you know, he's (laughs) like, yeah, yeah. They're all like, yes, thumbs up. Fred Hessinger, the new Joaquin Phoenix. Is that who? Yeah. Barry dropped out. Barry dropped out. Can I say something? What? I'm kind of pro that. I like Barry Keegan. Mm-hmm. It's maybe he's like signing on to every project. I sure. maybe am worried about like Jude Law syndrome with this oh, guy. Sure. You know what I mean? Where it's just yeah. like, how about you do one to two movies a year rather than be like the weirdo in three movies or four movies every yeah. year? Yeah. Fred right? Hessinger also a blankie. Is he? Yeah. A listener. But hello. Right. In favor of that. Uh but but yes. Yes, I mean Ben is uh, uh, a scowling. Like, why? Why does he listen? Yeah, great question. Yeah, I don't know. Something wrong with it? Did he hit his head? Very yes. hard. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, so uh, he's resting in bed. Yeah. Uh, I just like the idea that hitting your head makes you stupid. Yeah. Oh no, always funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And you forget your name. Um, uh, Barry Kagan's also a, a very, very uh, uh, specific performer. Like, there's yeah, no one can. like That's him. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Right. You're putting a whole dollop of like anchovies into the dish. And there's a lot of I love anchovies. A lot of range. He can apply himself in very different yes. ways. Yes. But he's not like Jude Law, where it was such an obvious gimme of like just slot him into everything. Let's have him do everything. Sure. Sure. Right? Yeah. And and with all respect to Keegan, I think we all agree Joker was a bit of a bust. There are things he should maybe not do. I can't be mad at him for that because he didn't have the time or, you know, the necessary runway no. to do something like to have, you know, to like where I'm like, oh, he, this is what he came up with. Correct. But also like, that's what he came up with. Yes. You know, anyway. Hi, Fred. Hi, Fred. Come on, blank check. That This has been Feel the better. key. The- Feel better. <laughs> Feel better. <laughs> Sorry about your head. Sleep well. Please uh, uh, text me Craven uh, Goss. Yeah, he's playing the chameleon. He's in Craven. He's, the chameleon. he's playing the chameleon. Listen. This has been an episode of the Keegan Cast. Keegan Cast. And now, welcome to Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. Hi, David. So fast. So fast, it almost was, you could almost couldn't hear it. Exactly. I'm Griffin, and then hold up title card. Funny. Uh, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Baby? And this is a miniseries on the films of Buster Keaton. It is called Podcast Junior. And today we've gotten to our last episode. This series has been focused on the 10 features that Buster Keaton made under Buster Keaton Productions, his independent run financed by Mr. Skank. Joe Skank. That took him from total independence to sort of uh, 
supervised independence under Metro as part of Skank's position there. Yeah. To now finally, these final two episodes uh, are going to track his move to MGM. Yes, the two films he directed for MGM before he was then just pushed into being a star. We slot you in where we like you. Right, 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 right. And his final two silent films, correct? Correct. Like after this, he is in talkies. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. These are his two final silent, these are his silent Sinite comedies. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, although spite marriage is him dipping, dipping a little bit of a toe into sound. Now, right off the bat, Ben has said he thinks that both of these movies stink. Producer Ben. He yeah. didn't like them. I walked in here, Griffin. Yeah. On time, of course. 10 a.m. Okay. Uh, great job by me. I uh, wa- Let me just say this for the record. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. All Uh-oh. right. Uh-oh. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead and say it. I beat you here. <laughs> I had a track record. I think I I beat. I think it was maybe three or four. Six. Wow, he had the number. He was gonna. He was trying with. I think I can confirm. It was six. It was six. Yeah. It was six. Yeah. And I happened to fall back asleep. Oh. I, so now. So wait. So the the running total is what like four hundred and twelve to six. Correct. But I'm saying it's like you're the fucking. Washington Generals, you get a couple baskets and you're like, oh, Fred, the General's on a streak here. I'm just saying, look, I moved. I live two blocks away from the studio. We're just getting their buckets of glitter. I'm walking distance. I'm saying we might start evening out. We just have to do the show for another eight years. You've moved closer. We do the show for another eight years. It might even out. Yeah, you've actually moved closer. Although you've usually lived closer to our studio, but not since we this moved This is the this. closest I have ever but, lived. Oh, you live very close now. I yes. live very close. So close that we really can't be disclosing where this studio is now. Nope. Ben cut some references out of previous episodes. <laughs> Did he? Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, but I walk in. Yeah. Ben's finishing up Spite Marriage. Okay. And he's just like, blah. And I was with him on, I was sort of like, yeah, you know, Spite Marriage. Not great. really light my fire. No. Yeah. But uh, but then you revealed you didn't like either of these films. No, I think Cameraman's a little masterpiece. He and loves Cameraman. I was relieved I, to I see was, you oh, yeah, agreed with me. Listen, very there's pro. fun stuff in it. Yeah, and I understand that in Buster movies, right? He's mm-hmm. kind of hitting very similar stories. Yes, sure. You mean types, character types? You I, don't like his character type in this movie. I had a. I just was not in the mood mm. to deal with smug. So Ben bullies. Okay. Ben, can we talk about it on mic? Yeah, we Let's should. Talk so about Ben it. is also he's he's steamed. Okay, he's grouchy, mad because he got basically upsold on a fancy steak by a waiter at a at a hip New York restaurant. I'm sorry, Corner Bar. So I'm he's sorry. pissed off. I think about like. All smug, sort of, you know, you're, upper crust guys. Than you. They're above you. Because he you're basically rube. was at this cool-ass place, and the waiter was like, well, the, the <laughs> cut of beef you really want is the special. And he didn't disclose that How the special much it was and it mucho dinero. Way too much for was what I Was this last night? Yeah. So I watched this movie, Cameraman, first yeah. this morning. Yeah. Sure. And it's it's like this bully jerking around Buster, and I just got so pissed. I just want to I want to break this down for a second. Please do. Every one of these movies has some smug bully Yeah, there's who always a rich Buster. guy or a, right. you know, alpha right. guy. Yeah. His problem wasn't, you know, if you said, I, I hate a cameraman, but in my defense, yesterday, some fucking bewildered cameraman fucked with me on my walk <laughs> home. 
I go. I could understand this movie hitting it was a like nerve. Really specific, right. right? You're supposed to relate to Buster in this movie. The point is, you're supposed to hate this smug bully. I know. And you're going. I'm too triggered by the smug bully because a waiter got me to buy a more expensive steak last night. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. It makes sense. Okay. Uh, look, I'll I'll say this. Yeah. I sympathize. I think Ben is the wronged party. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, this steak that he got, and yes, it was for the whole table. It's not like he was personally given this steak, but yeah. still, I you know I checked the price on it. It's a lot of money. Yeah. If you're a waiter, even if you've been told like, oh, you know, don't say that's gauche to say the numbers out loud, you might just want to say, but it's. It's it's an expensive item, or you know, but this is a this is a high yeah. end, you know, you know, just so that you can give the opportunity for the person to be like, how much is for it? what I paid for it? It should have been the fucking opening of Flintstones. <laughs> you wanted them to destabilize the table when they dropped it off. You wanted right over like, for what I paid. Yeah, I mean, you wanted a dinosaur leg. Correct. Right. Yes. Funny, funny, funny. Uh, Look, I know this podcast has already become a 25% syndication of old Doughboys bits. Sure. We just rerun old Doughboys bits by us describing them and saying they were good. And now I'm doing one from the episode you and I were on, David. Uh, yes. Well, wait, which, which Italy. Italy episode? Which episode was? Italy. Wait, what was the bit? But it's not even a bit. This is just, uh, here's, here's a fucking incredible waiter who got a great ass tip that night, okay? We're yeah. at Ely. We're trying to order a lot of stuff. I'm with Mitch and Weiger for the Doughboys podcast in LA at the Italy. David ate at the New York one. And Mitch was like, it's truffle season. We should try something with truffles on it, right? And we were trying to like balance out dishes. And there was like, we were going to get a pasta. And then there was a steak you could add truffles onto. And we tried to order that. And our waiter said, you know, Psst. the surcharge on the truffles is itself more expensive than this pasta that has truffles on it. So if you get the truffle pasta instead of that pasta and get the steak minus the truffles, you're saving money. Right. So here's the thing, That's, that's how a fucking but server... Here's should. the thing, and Ben's going to tell you. Yeah. But I think th his waiter kind of tried to pull that trick of like, look... This this extra it pays for itself in sides. Yeah, you know, was trying to kind of do the like the sides. You know, He's like, like, it comes with fries and a salad. He's like, <laughs> I mean, it's a good deal, right? He said the, it was a good this deal. This guy just sounds dishonest. Should we say how much the steak was? Yeah, we could say how much it was. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. not going to be said. Everyone okay, will unsubscribe. Great. Listen. Anyway, ben. he didn't want the fancy steak. He got the fancy steak. And now, so if there's any fancy men sure. who are pulling Run one an over. MGM, being a gatekeeper. Well, so you don't like that part of it either. Yeah. You don't like the you don't like the actual behind the scenes narrative. And we're it's it's also it's the story set in the city, so I really can relate. I can really put myself Sure. But the, you're the buster in this story. Correct. Just trying to have a damn steak. I, okay. <laughs> Which is fine. Which it's is fine. fine. Uh, listen, Buster Keaton said signing up with MGM was the greatest mistake of his entire career. It was the thing that kind of killed him. Um, absolutely. He is convinced as it's not like he was completely swindled here. Like his, you know, mm -hmm. his business was in decline. Like he was, yes. he kind of needed a raft to jump to. This is my question. What, what other options did he I, really well, have at me, this moment? Let me look at yeah. the dossier here, but yes. Yeah. Okay, look. 
I ask this rhetorically. Buster you know? is, of course, making feature films independently. Yes. Right? They're getting distributed by whoever, but right. like, you know, by Metro or MGM or whatever, you know, but right. and UA eventually. But but the key basically he is He makes that, them himself. And, and he, he has, has his own company. He has his regular crew. He's sort of a, a an autonomous unit. Um, but... Hands the movies over to Skank. But the films he makes are not produced efficiently, mm-hmm. and they are not cheap. No. So it's not like he is the reliable old Buster Keaton machine just right. pumping out movies at X price. Right. And they're going to make Y price. Like, some of them are hits. Some of them are less so. Yes. Some of them are made... For an okay budget, some of them cost too much money or take too long to make. And he's constantly trying to push uh, the medium on technical levels. He's trying to right. constantly come up with things that people haven't seen before. He's increasingly looking for a sense of verisimilitude that does not come easily or cheaply. Yes. And on top of that, his basic process is like 60% pre-planned, 40% improvised, which is a nightmare to the person writing the checks yeah. because so, they go like, I have no idea what the fuck this is even going to end up being. It's hard to come up with a shooting schedule. It's hard to have a, an actual budget going in. So, MGM mm-hmm. is looking at that and says, well, you're going to make movies for us, and they're going to cost about $250,000. Like, we're going to put you in a budget category. They're, they say to him, you will be the third highest paid person right. on our payroll at our studio you're a star. Our, you're our, a star. In our star system, right? You'll be the third highest paid person we have, but it's kind of classic... Uh, it it feels like uh, such an echo of how uh, these studio execs still talk today, where they were like, we we at MGM can solve the Buster Keaton problem. Yes, if Buster comes to us, his budgets will be smaller, and he'll make four movies a year. They were just so confident that they could get this guy on rails. Right? This is easy. We can control him. Right. We control him, and the quality will stay good, and people will like the movies. We'll just tell him to be cheaper and more structured and work faster. Um, so they just like the writers him, love of yeah, work yeah, yeah, will right. get them to end the strike because the they'll be so tired of work. not they love being they underpaid. They like making money. They love work. I don't even know if they like making money. I they think that's not. a lie. They may not. Uh you know, it's very gauche to make money. Oh, it sucks. Um, yeah, and what do you spend it on? Some fucking shitty steak? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should mention it did come with steak sauce. Oh, House yeah, steak right, right. Okay, so you made your money back. You're right. Because <laughs> uh, you went off and sold that thing on, on the street, right? Yeah. You, you took the steak You flipped sauce. it, right? <laughs> this is how steak sauce. Yeah. Um, so they're saying, you're going to make movies around a quarter of a million dollars, yeah. and you're going to make four a year, not yes. two a year, which yes. is what you're currently doing. Right. However, uh, Buster moves into MGM, mm-hmm. and then... MGM or him or whoever, you know, someone realizes like four a year is unrealistic. Right. Uh, and so they're like, let's keep the same let's output. Let's go to two a year. But if you're going to do two a year, your budgets are going to go down. Yes. So you're going to have to make these quite cheaply. Um, and uh, yeah, you can keep some of your crew, but not all of them. You know, essentially, it's just kind of like, look, the, the the great days for you are over. Like, you are you don't get to just do whatever you want with whoever you want for how long, you know, you think you need. They want to uh, uh, streamline. They want to automate it a little bit. And a big part of it is there's going to be oversight now. Uh-huh. You don't just go off and do whatever the fuck you feel like, you know? Which, at a certain point, one wonders, what did MGM even want? I mean, you know, but they probably, like you say, they're just like, what do you mean? We're smart. We can fix this. But it's not just the entertainment industry. You just read these stories constantly of there's a company that is successful, right? Right. And then a much larger company buys the company and goes, we think we can reduce costs. 
We think we can reduce costs, increase profits. We see a lot of inefficiency here, but you are still Buster Keaton, so we can still make money off of you. Right. They go, we can just make this cheaper and more profitable. And then within a year, they go, suddenly this is not making money for us. And um, you're like, well, this was working before you entered the picture. Even if it didn't work every single time. It wasn't totally working. It evens out. But the other thing, of course, with Buster is, even if he hadn't gone to MGM. Yes. The talkies are coming. Totally. Everything's about to change. Like, who knows what this would is, have awaited This is him. my big question, is just, like, he needed to go to a studio at this Most point. Most likely. Right? I, I, Skank was not re-upping. Yeah, no, unless he could find some other rich guy to, you know, essentially front him money yes. in exchange for the hopes of profit. Like, right. Yeah, Which obviously. Unlikely. What he should have done was, and he was never much of a businessman, he should have done what Chaplin had done 10 years earlier. He needed to form a United Artists, right? right? right, right, right. Or, or, you know, stick with the existing United Artists and, you know. But I look, I, I don't live in 1928. I don't, I don't know what I don't the, either, the landscape I, is he, or whatever. He, look, he wasn't a mogul, and he also didn't think of himself as an artist. He thought of himself yeah, as sure. a worker, but, right? You know, but then again, he was always trying stuff and taking Oh, totally. Yeah, but I, it's, the, it's a fascinating dichotomy with him. But I he, don't know if he would have been in a better position going to any other studio. It's hard I, to say. I I'm not no knowledgeable idea. enough. I have no idea. The, uh, Obviously, MGM is sort of the king studio yes. then and really is for the next... 30 years. Yeah. But, but certainly but in the I, days of Louis Mayer. I kind of think this, a, a variation of this fate would have befallen him at this point. Now, there are some other issues. He yes. doesn't play well with others, really. Yeah. He doesn't want to live on the lot. Right. So he moves into like a bungalow that's Across kind of the off the lot. Right. right. Doesn't go into the studio. He doesn't interact with Louis Mayer. Which they put their foot down and said, like, you're moving into a fucking dressing room. Everything he tried to do was basically like, I'm living off campus. Right. Right? He's like sort of like, I'm not part of this community. He um, just was such an independently minded guy and right. he liked his own crew and whatever. And he but, said, you know, then you're not going to get what you want if you're not, you know, rubbing course, the shoulders of the, right. the fancy man. So I think he just immediately set the wrong tone so, with them, you know, and he goes like, here's how it works. You give me my unit, have a payroll of guys. I have my cameramen, I have my gag writers, I have my prop makers, and we're just working on stuff constantly. And they're like, that's not how this works. You work with our guys we have under employ. You're sharing resources right. across yeah. a studio. Sure. So Irving Thalberg, who is the Wunderkind mm-hmm. at, uh, head of production at MGM, he's only in his early 20s. Yes. You know, he's. you can read about him. It is an incredible tale. Mm-hmm. He is put in charge of Keaton. Set up his first movie, please. His first proposal is um, a sort of Charles Lindbergh-esque mm-hmm. story of a pilot uh, doing a transatlantic flight with a fading burlesque beauty queen. They wanted Marie Dressler. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, Buster doesn't like that story, kind of likes the idea of working with Marie Dressler, uh, pitches, him, pitches a story back that's like, Steamboat Bill Jr., except she's like the raggedy old aunt rather mm-hmm. than the mean uncle character. Okay. I mean, the, the not mean uncle, the, uh, you know, grizzled dad character, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Um, set it during the Civil War, set it on like a wagon train. And again, I'm like Buster the weakling, sure. Buster the, you know, sort of silly boy. And we're going across the prairie, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff happens. Thalberg thinks about it. Keaton kind of knows... He's not into it. Yeah. Okay. So then they have a new idea. Okay. What if instead of, let's go back to that sort of idea, but what if he's a cameraman instead of like a pilot? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this, the original 
concept was still going to have a transatlantic flight. Yes. Um, Wasn't there also a whole thing where he got in, in, involved with the mob? There was sort of a mistaken identity thing. I mean, it, yeah. everything I was reading was that they kind of were pitching a lot right. of plot to him. And he was sort of like, and this is yes, an early moment. gangsters. Right. And Keaton keeps being like, no, like, throwing like, get stuff all out. that out of here. Right. Like, we have to strip this down. Right. Because his whole thing was just like, you know. I'm now working with guys who have no experience in comedy who think they can tell me what's going to be funny. They think they know what sounds like a funny setup for a Buster Keaton movie. And I know in practical reality, you want this thing as streamlined as possible. You want as little narrative fat as possible. You want room to discover gags. I'm going to read this Buster quote to you because it is so devastatingly good. Thalberg was a fine judge of light comedy and farce. Appreciated good slapstick whenever he saw it on screen. No truck driver mm-hmm. ever guffawed louder at my better sight gags than that fragile intellectual boy genius. Mm-hmm. That's Thalberg. Yeah. Nevertheless, he lacked the true low comedy mind, which is sort of what you're saying, yeah. right? Like any man who must concern himself with mass production, he was seeking a pattern, a format. Slapstick comedy has a format, but, you know, he's basically just like he doesn't understand it's like math. The, yes. You right. know, this, the simplicity of that. You see the the geometry of how the thing is going to work, which is, look, it's there are very few uh, uh, executives, uh, you know, high-level studio people who are genuinely creative and even fewer who are funny yeah, but and understand how comedy works. But they make the most money. In every era. And so they're, they're obviously the indispensable. best people. Indispensable. Right. Um, um, no, uh, but eventually, whatever. This all gets yes. hammered into the the cameraman is the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they do start working on drafts of the script. Um, and uh, all these MGM creme de la creme writers come in. Mm-hmm. And Keaton is basically like 22 people at one point. Like we're weighing on the yeah. script, right? And they would keep complicating the plot. Gangsters, yeah. Salvation Army street bands, Tammany Hall politicians, longshoremen, and kind of like the sound of this one, Lady gem thieves. Cool. I mean, maybe bring in one lady gem thief. Yes. Um, but, and then the executives, look, it's the classic tale. Yes. Too many kids, uh, chefs in the soup, you know, or whatever. I think the difference for me is that cameraman feels like him trying so hard to stand his ground in the face of all this meddling that what comes out of it is like such a a simple, streamlined, focused movie right because he really has to fight for what he wants and like narrow in on his vision whereas and you know not to jump ahead but it's a relative success it is well received yeah the movie actually mgm likes it and i think he goes great so i've proven myself they'll give me more leash on the next one and instead they tighten the leash and the second he feels the leash tighten on spite marriage it's like he's done right it's just you just feel that he just gives up um, and you know, and then sure. it goes on to his MGM talkie career after this, where it's just like the light he's is kind of gone for him. He's eyes. drinking more. Right. He's not creatively involved. Yes, to skip ahead here, but but, but no, okay, Ed, yeah. Edward Sedgwick is the director they assign him for these two films. Who's a guy who comes from a very similar background to him, was also part of yes. a vaudeville act with his family growing up. Has been on stage since he was a child transition of being behind the scenes is kind of uh, a Roscoe Arbuckle type physically is much taller and bigger than him. Apparently they they also both loved, they were both baseball buffs. Yes. They bonded over that. So there's like this beauty where you're like, this feels like for all these years where, where even Skank would assign him 
some new director who he would always fight with and push out. He's finally got a guy to kind of share the chair with who he really is simpatico with and who gets it and isn't fighting, you know? Yeah, I, I think they, they didn't mind. Sh- they shot it in New York. I think that was complicated. There's, you know, back there then, was like a week shooting. of New York shooting, and then I think uh, sound stages were in LA. Right. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, they enjoyed a five day New York shoot. Yeah. Um, Where there's parades all the time in dude, those days. Every day. Dude, you know how in New York, there's, if you walk up Broadway, sort of from Wall Street, mm-hmm. there's this like, um, there are these plaques, kind of like Hollywood Walk of Fame style, mm-hmm. of every ticker tape parade there ever the was. The Parade Walk of Fame, and like there's there's like an embedded plaque in the sidewalk for every single ticker tape parade, like in ascending order. Okay, and it, and I loved it. I used to walk out. It's called, I forget what there's a name for what the avenues of the Avenue of Heroes or whatever. Mm-hmm. They used to fucking throw one of those every other week. Yeah. Because at, like, at a certain point, you hit like the 80s, and then it's basically like, did a team win a championship? They got a ticker tape parade. Sure. That's it. You know, it used to be like, I don't know, some guy like did a great job cleaning a building, and they'd be like, ah, come on. Yeah, but also- We have no, so much ticker tape we got to get rid of. No one had a Roku. What else were you going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't just fucking stay home and binge Never Have I Ever. It's the way we got another parade. Great. That gives me something. It's just so funny. Like there were there were like seven a year. Yes. Now it's like basically just like the New York Giants. That's it. Yeah. Uh, oh, anyway. that okay. So ticker tape is the printout. Yeah, from the stocks. From the stock ticker. They had yeah. all this fucking paper. They had to yeah. get rid of it somehow. So, so you know they rip it up. The president of the Tunisia. It's like a confetti. Yeah. If the president of Tunisia came this year, yeah. we'd just kind of be like, yeah, sure. Bathrooms are over there, buddy. <laughs> In 1961, it was like, clear the streets. We should set a there standard. There will be no cars. We should set a standard. We should start throwing a ticker tape parade every time we release a new episode. We gave the New York Mets a ticker tape parade for entering the National League in Great. 1962. They hadn't even played a game yet. <laughs> they could use all the encouragement they could get. Exactly. Why not send them off in good fashion? I swear to God. Have a good season. They used to, like, if someone, like, took a shit without needing to wipe, they would throw them a ticker tape <laughs> Anyway, uh, look, I support all ticker tape parades. To be clear, I support the president of Tunisia, unless he was bad. Let me check, click on him. An interesting anecdote. <laughs> this is a long Wikipedia page. I don't know if I can weigh in. Um, Buster yes. was still so fucking famous and iconic at this moment. Of course. He's sort of, like, right at the bell curve where his... Fame's about he's, he's, to dip. He's a, a, but, a national name. Yes. Um, uh, Chaplin and Harold Lloyd, as I, I've pointed out in the past, both had characters who involved a sort of disguise. Their persona on screen did not look like them in daily life. Yes. Harold Lloyd, when he took the glasses off and changed totally. it, it was like a Clark Kent Superman Same thing. with Chaplin, of course. Chaplin has the fucking mustache. He doesn't have the mustache dyes his on. hair and the, the, all this shit, right? right? He would put the bowler hat on his feet. You know, yes. completely different vibe. Two bowler hats. <laughs> or one, both feet in one hat. Both he'd hop around. Hat. Yep, he'd hop around. Or he'd slide. Uh, I, they, they go to film a couple days in New York, and Cedric was like, it was impossible. Yes. Hey, Keaton. Yeah. People were yelling it from the, the windows. And you're look, not again, like you said, there's no Roku. Yes. People are bored. Right. And there's also, look, there's, there's no, no Pluto TV. There's no sound, right? They're not fucking up the takes with the sound, but they're right. reacting so well. They're like swarming him. They're fucking up the shots. Right. And they were like, there was no way for him to disguise himself. He's Buster Keaton all the time. Uh, That's exactly what he looks like. 
Can I tell you something? Yes. Yesterday, mm. I uh, got out of the subway. All your troubles were so far away. Well, I suppose so. Uh, I get on a bike, and I'm biking through Park Slope mm-hmm. home. Okay. Brooklyn neighborhood. And I'm going up a street, and mm. uh, then I, I see, oh, there's a film crew on this street. Okay. But the lane's not closed. Mm-hmm. I keep going. Pete Davidson, America's funniest man. Of course. Of course. America's most beloved comedian. Yeah. Is shooting something in front of an ice cream truck. Is it an ad? Is sure. it a, you know, who knows what it is. But yeah. it's Pete Davidson, okay. just him, and okay. like a guy with a camera. Okay. And I will admit, somewhat embarrassingly, yeah. that as I biked by, I went, hey, Pete, just because I thought it was funny to do that. Wow. Usually I don't care. Yeah. About celebrities at all. But I yeah. was just kind of like, this is funny. And I also knew I was moving. So I would really just whiz by. Yeah. So I said, hey, Pete. You how know, do you look? Who I don't know. He looked like Pete Davidson. Regular. Yeah. Exactly like Pete Davidson. Yep. Um, you know, it's kind of Dav- hot. He's kind of hot, but also yeah. you're kind of like, are you sick? Yeah. You know, that's right. the Pete Davidson look. Yeah. yeah. No one else looks like him. Um, or do you have Lyme disease? Yeah. <laughs> uh, First, first season of be fine, obviously. Yes. Yeah, the first season of The Tick. Yeah, we filmed a lot in the streets of New York. Yeah, filming in New York is expensive and difficult, but we thought like uh, we cool. thought good production value, whatever. Right? It does look cool. Yeah, season two, uh, uh, folks might notice there is almost uh, there's very little exterior work, and where there is exterior work is in very uh, kind of desolate, far out areas. Right. You, in season two, mostly you're in the the base, you know, yes. the headquarters. Of, right. And when we were like outdoors, we were like under a bridge or right. in like an alley or something, and sure. it was because we would film so much in the streets of Harlem in the first season, and takes would get fucked up by people walking by and going, "Hey, tick." <laughs> I do it. Hey, yeah, Tick. It was that though. It's exactly what you said. Like people would just bike by and they go like, "Hey, Tick, looking good." And it, the show had not aired yet. It was just people knew the iconography yeah, from the, the past tick. versions. It's that cartoon. But it was like we're filming episode two where no one should know that he exists. Right. And the amount of takes that were blown by that, it was insane how often it would happen. And you can't even be like, "Hey, don't do that." The guy's already gone. Yeah. Biked off immediately. Just a bunch of fucking David Sims going, "Hey, hey Tick." They were filming Law and Order on my street recently, yeah. and I was so tempted. Uh, it was like an early morning shoot. I was so tempted before leaving the house for the day yeah. to just have the Law and Order theme blasting out mm-hmm. the window yeah. on on a loop, right. on repeat, and just ruin their shoot. Yeah, that's dun, funny. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. There wow. was one time wow. I, I saw when Jerry Orbach was still on the show. Legend. He was filming a scene... And a bunch of kids rode their bikes in front of the camera and then stopped and went, yo, you're the guy from Law & Order. Hey, man. And he went, ha, ha, yes, I am. <laughs> and it was the most charming thing I've ever. He's he, the best. He, he responded best. with like sort of uh, Lumiere-esque. As he should. He's the greatest of yes, all. Yes, I he am. He might be the greatest New Yorker. Yeah. He has a block named after him, yes. which I think is, is deserved. Jerobeck Way? Yeah, probably. It's yeah. usually a way. Yeah. It's an open hell's kitchen because he was you know, probably talked legend. about my fucking brother's Jerry Orbach bit. Yes, we can't talk about this. We have to talk about to. the it camera. It exists in the archives. Uh, all right. Um, as you say, yes. Yeah. When Harold Boyd removed his glasses, he melted into a crowd. Buster mm-hmm. Keaton, that old stone face, everyone wanted a piece of it. Yeah. Uh, then they go to LA. They shoot for 33 days. Mm-hmm. Um, MGM is hopeful that that will be chill. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Buster's not used to their kind of thing. As he says, you had to requisition a toothpick and triplicate. Yes. Everyone's hassling me. 
uh, you know, um, and uh, it seems like it's just a little stressful. A lot, a lot of clashes with the studio. Yeah, but it was. Everything. I think this one's a little bit of a like pressure creating diamonds thing, where yes. it's like he had it in him one time to fight against this to get what he wanted, um, but went way over schedule. But mm -hmm. maybe the most iconic sequence in this movie, I would say, uh -huh. is the changing room sequence. Right, yes. he's stuck. It's simple sequence. He's yeah. stuck in a changing room with a big fella. Couldn't get He's more. A little fella. Right. They are, keep bumping into each other. He reuses this in what? No beer. I referenced in no, what? No beer. I'm sorry. In what? No beer. Uh, he redoes this exact sequence in a voting booth. Uh -huh. A polling booth. Clever, sure. And I even feel like it, later in his career when he's doing a lot of TV segments and things like this, this became one of his routines. Right. I'm trapped in a tiny Classic. space with another guy. But this one, yes, is incredible. And it's like an absolute, why wouldn't we just do this? It was invented on the spot by yeah. Keaton and Sedgwick. Yes. And a couple of writers, Clyde Bruckman and Lou Lipton. Yeah. Classic Keaton writers. So like some of this stuff, they're coming up with on the day. It's this is what I love about this movie is it feels like it does not have the big sequences. It does not have the big movements of his other films in the same kind of way, by and large. It's just sort of ingenuity of in every very basic low stakes situation. What's the funniest thing I come up with right now? They were hoping the film would cost 250. Mm -hmm. It ends up costing 362. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, not perfect. It makes. About seven hundred and fifty. It made uh, eight hundred thousand dollars worldwide. Big ass. Uh, more money in foreign markets. So yes. he's turning into a bit of a Sly Stallone. Yes, but you're getting less of that money back. Probably yeah. uh -huh. wasn't a bomb, but the profits were not huge for MGM. Right. Thalberg did think it was hilarious. Thalberg, in the years after, would screen this to his comedy writers to say, here is a perfectly structured comedy, study this. Right. So He used you know, it as a teaching tool so much they wore out the print they had. Wow, that's cool. And this, is, this was a big one that was uh, considered lost for a while. Yes, This was an actual true. lost film, uh, especially because MGM had this huge fire that destroyed a lot of their films yes. in the 50s. And this was one of the films presumed to be lost then. And then there was a combination of they ended they, up finding a print in a, France, a damaged print in France, yes. and then another higher quality print somewhere else. And they over like the many years, years they combined prints, they put them together. Right, it was to incomplete make... for a while. Now I think we pretty much have all yes. of it. Um, but the other wild thing is there was, was a, about eight reels. The minutes. the best print I think they found in France was missing one segment, and it was because they had repurposed it for some like MGM package film. Mm, and when sure. they did that, they literally took that section out sure why not yeah what, don't bother gonna, copying who's it. gonna watch this whole fucking thing again yeah so the cameraman yes uh buster is uh at the beginning of the film a tin type photographer mm -hmm. and he has a crush on his secretary who works for mgm the setup is so simple you start with really exciting newsreel Marceline photographers Day. on on the front lines of the war right and you're showing this is the kind of photography we're used to seeing Play before our pictures, our yes. pictures, right? You go, then there's another type of cameraman. And here he is, this lowly guy in the middle of the city street asking for a dime to take someone's portrait. Right. On essentially a tin ashtray. Right. Um, he catches the eyes of, of a pretty woman. I think it's another thing I like about this movie. Uh, and I will admit, a lot of my fondness for this film is this was the, as I think I said in our first episode, this was the activator movie for me. Right. This was the one I caught on TCM that turned me on to Buster. 
So it holds a soft spot in my heart because it's the one that made him click for me. Uh, I Sorry don't... I said it's stuff. No, it's fine. I don't think it's the best one, but I think it, it's obviously his last great movie. Yes. And I do think it's in the top tier. Now I have, and I'm sure you have not, mm-hmm. I've not seen like his educational shorts that he made later. I, I've yeah. seen some of them. I No, I haven't seen everything he's done, but I've watched. But that's really all. And then he did a few like weird European He, he did a comedies. run at Columbia. Yeah. He did a run, the educational picture shorts. Yeah. Um, they, I, I mean, what there's like, but the Columbia ones, he's never a director and rarely a writer, right? Yes. Um, the yeah, the educational shorts, those are shorts, obviously. The railroaders, his final thing, which he did for Canada, it was a campaign to promote their own railroads, I right? Believe. He also their train lines, and that one's actually really fun. It's it's him. He's very old, but he's still got his ingenuity. Yeah. And it's called The Railroader. It's like 30 minutes or whatever. But then there's an amazing one-hour documentary called like Buster Keaton Rides Again that is watching the process of him generating bits. That's cool. And I highly recommend watching that. It sure. was it was just re-released on Blu-ray. Yeah. But I think um, it's out there on the internet. But yeah, okay. But, but wait, the, the, the cameraman. Uh, so yeah. uh, he wants to impress this lady. Mm-hmm. So he buys a film camera yeah. for all his money. He Well, he sees her in the crowd. Who is she? He follows after. She finds out. She's the secretary at a newsreel company. MGM. It's MGM? It's MGM. There's this smug asshole type of guy who'd upcharge you on a steak. Right. A smug asshole with a big ribeye on a platter. Yes. With with, with fries and steak sauce. Yeah. And burpees. Right. You're basically making a profit at that point. (laughs) And look, the ice in this water ain't free, but we're giving it to you for free. I mean, I guess I got some bread, and too. they were willing. They were willing to uh, to lift the uh, the chair tax, right? Because usually they charge. For they the paid seat. for those chairs, Ben. Yeah, no, the Wait, chair tax the magic built those chairs out of existence. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, yes, right. Do they include air conditioning on your on your check at the end of was the-, the AC on? The AC was not on. It was kind of a cool night. It was a cool okay, night. Cool sure, night last sure, night. sure. Yeah, yeah. Kind of in the fifties. You know. They charged us a courtesy fee. And and that they were sort of nice. Doesn't sound like they were that nice. <laughs> they weren't at all. Okay. All right. All right. So there's a there's a meanie. Yeah, but but here's a thing I love about this movie. She's immediately pretty charmed by him, right? Yes. There isn't the sort of challenge of she's encouraging. She likes him. Yes. She's giving him tips the whole movie. Yes. There's this feeling of unlike a lot of the Buster movies where there's sort of an ultimatum thrown at him, the other guy really wedges himself in the center. There's some authority figure, a father, a boss, a, you know, the girl's father, whatever it is, that demands that he do a thing to prove himself. Or in the worst Buster movies, I think it is the woman demands the thing and it makes the female character less likable when she's that much of a status-obsessed sort of, you know, what have you. Right. Um, I like in this that she's kind of immediately charmed by him and he just feels like, at first, I should do this to impress her. And then I think he really kind of likes it. He's doing this out of the joy of doing this, the discovery of doing this. I think this movie is in so many ways Buster making a film about his relationship to filmmaking, the discovery of it, you know, and his experimentation with what you can do as a medium. And every time he fucks up, she kind of pulls him over and goes like, do this. Right, right. right I'm right. giving you the inside track. She's nice. I'm helping you out. I think she's really... Sweet. She's very sweet. Yes. Um, Buster is not good no. at his job. He fucks everything up. He's always double exposed. I mean, look, also, it's hard. This is 20s film camera shit. Like, this is very technical. But we've been doing this 
miniseries now for six weeks, right? Sure. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Breaking down, how do you pull off these insane shots? How do you do it? How do you do it, right? You have this sequence where he comes back with his first role he shot, and they screen it in the screening room for the head of the MGM newsreel company, and they all laugh at how bad it is. Right. And everything you're showing is basically one of the tricks that Buster has used to create one of his most famous sequences. It's a lot of double exposure stuff and things like that. It's double exposure. Right, right. It's things being cranked backwards. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah, right. But of course, that, but that ain't how you shoot a newsreel. No, but... just the facts, Jack. But this is what, I, this is what I'm saying. The, the vaguely kind of like autobiographical memoiry quality yeah. to the film is it sort of like all those special effects in the early days, the pre-digital days of film, came about basically by people discovering things by accident. They would mess stuff up and And you go, wait a second, that's a weird effect. effect. Interesting. If you fuck it up on purpose, if you don't let this part of the the image get exposed, right? Right. I do think there's something here to like, this character is more hapless than, than the actual Buster Keaton, the director, but it's like he's, by hook and by crook, by mistake and by chance, learning the mechanics of what a camera can do. I also think... I'm trying to win Ben over on this movie. He's very fun um, toting the camera. Like, he, yeah. you know, he... It just it just lends to, like, hapless, you know, harried buster, right? That he's got this big fucking thing he's lugging around on his back. Um, you know, you're, you're with him. Like, he's, he's a good... Hardworking boy who doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he and it's, it's the fire like, truck. You know, he goes to the baseball game. This is how comedic. Well, we're not going to breeze through these things that quickly. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. This is how comedically resourceful he is, though. Is he's just like, if I have to carry this camera with me in every scene, I will find something funny to do with it. Uh, okay, well then the tripod's got three legs. Yes, it's long. It's heavy. You know, anytime he's trying to talk to someone, yeah, he gets tangled from, in something. Right, else. that's what I'm saying. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay, then, well, come on. Then the first thing is the fire, right? That's the which, yes. w- the the warehouse is on fire or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, come on, let's talk about some of these scenes, right? Uh yeah. Well, I mean, the, that, but that, the joke there is that just that he rides the fire truck home, right? Like, correct. Yes, he misses it. Good joke. He fucks it up. Yeah. Right. Uh the baseball scene is really sweet because this is yes. also like him. He he gets there the wrong day. It's an away game. Yes. He shows um, up to an empty Yankee Stadium. It is. Is he, I was about to say, what's the stadium? It is. is it Yankee Stadium? Like yeah. Old Yankee Stadium. Right. I mean, yeah. this is one of the only... Oh, yeah. Because now... Right. Well, there's yeah. been three, I believe, Yankee okay. Stadiums. Yes. I think this is old... This is the house that Ruth built. This okay. is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he just... There's no one there. ...decides to play baseball by himself. Uh, it is a thing that I think the other... Buster Keaton characters don't necessarily ever display, which is this guy has creativity, right? Right. This is the story of like an He's artist being not activated. just a chump, right? He will try to find right the sort of hard way around it or whatever. But there's yeah, some yeah, combination yeah. of he is doing this for his own amusement, right? But then also he's like trying to find something worthwhile to film, right? And here is this like incredibly well observed pantomime of every player in a baseball game. And he's just doing it all. It, and it's Trying to catch just, people stealing bases. It's also just clever way to use the location. Like, it's, it just looks cool. I just think there's something very kind of sweet and poetic to it. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I Were you watching the Criterion release of this? How did you watch this film? No, I rented it on iTunes. Oh, you did? Know it was on okay, Criterion. so then I'll yeah. say this. So there's a Criterion disc of this that has Spite Marriage as a special feature. Uh-huh. The iTunes version of it, I don't understand. I don't know why this happened. This is 
These two films are the only Buster Silence that are not in the public domain. Because they're actually owned by MGM. Right. right. And they're also, it's, they're not 100 years old. 28 or 29? Yeah, they're 28. Uh, or this is 28, maybe Spider Man is 29. Yeah. Um, so there, but there is a Criterion disc. Correct. That is, that is copyrighted by Warner Brothers. Um, previously, it was on a DVD that was part of the Turner Classic Movie Presents series. That one had the score that I believe is now on the iTunes right. version. I had a very nice score. I love that score yeah. so fucking yeah. much. It's by a guy named Arthur Freed, who was part of Frank Zappa's band, Ben. And has in later years, and did a lot of production, and has in later years done a, a handful of silent film scores. And this one is so good, and for whatever reason, it is not on the Criterion release. And the Criterion release score is good, and it's a full orchestral score. But there's something very charming and kind of like bittersweet and a little lonely about that score. Uh, and I do think there's something to like the, the baseball game, the isolation of it, the loneliness of it. Um, but also the sweetness of just like this, this is a guy who lives in his own head. It feels like you're watching Buster Keaton generate material. Yeah. This character without having a, uh, aspirations to be a performer, you know? Yeah. It's the same way he talks about how he'd come up with bits when he goes to a space and goes, well, what could we do in this environment? Here he is as an empty baseball field. What's he going to do? He's going to pretend to be every ball player. Mm. Um, and the ideas that in post, it will all come together to look like an actual baseball game. Cut it together. Kind of. I mean, Here's look, a guy pitching. Here's a guy running. In he, a suit? No, never, it doesn't make any sense. There's no audience. Like, no, they're never going to buy it. It's right, never going to yeah. work. But, but he's just trying. The point. It's like he's in the wrong medium in a way, right? Like It's like yeah. your job is to document what's going on. Right. He doesn't think of things literally. Mm -hmm. um, the next sequence I have now, if there is a version of this on YouTube that I found... It's him showing the footage to uh, the people at MGM. Yes. And I do love the gag of like uh, the street scene with like a battleship. <laughs> yes. But this is what I'm saying. It's like this beautiful double uh, no, exposure is, where you're is. like, that's kind of a great special effect. Right. Uh, and then there's the person uh, jumping from the pool onto the diving board. Yes. And then there's in like reverse. quadruple footage of cars or whatever where he's like, I don't know, done the lenses wrong. The, or... These, But these are all tricks we have seen yes, him employ yes. purposefully, you know? But, him doing the baseball game is like him doing the playhouse short where he's everyone on stage. And then, you know, he's discouraged. He's mm -hmm. sad. Everyone in the room's laughing. They're all laughing at him. They're all having a laugh. Uh, but she's there. Yeah. And she's encouraging. You gotta crank forward. Yeah, exactly. She's like, look, you tried. Yeah. Like, a lot of people wouldn't try. Right. Um, and she, uh, you know, she's, he wants to ask her out and she's like, got a date basically, yes. but he's, she's still like, call me. Right. Uh, and then you have the whole sequence where he's like smashing open the wall looking for money and stuff like that. Right. right? He's got yes. the piggy bank he can't open. Right. Right. Um, uh, right. He tries to hold it up against the wall and hammer it in. Um, and it just gets stuck in the wall. Um, but then you also have, she, she calls right downstairs Yes. There's like one... Uh, uh, he goes down the staircases, that crazy he's shot. He's got this insane Wes Anderson, like, dollhouse Four flights, set. yeah, yeah. Right, which is just a classic Buster thing where he's like, here's what we're going to do. Build four real stories. Yeah. <laughs> Exposed. It looks cool, it's but it is... unbelievable. Ten seconds of non-comedic footage like it, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. no right, it's right. longer than that because the whole bit is that he like runs he downstairs right, he, over, right, right, he keeps right, overshooting right, right. And he goes like mm, he gets so much momentum up, in right. his running that he keeps on goes missing the, the flight 
The gag of him going to the roof and then walking up the roof. Yes. Like stairs. That's funny. I think it's incredibly good, but it's also, it's like, it is an expensive gag. You have to build an insane set to make this work because he understands it's only funny if it's continuous. The second Uh you have to cut every time he goes up a new floor, it's not going to work. This all just seemed very stressful back then, though. Yeah. Having to wait by the phone. Oh, a nightmare. So much net better. It would be like at the store, like three blocks away. You yeah. Know? Yes. Well, and then he finally picks up the phone. It's her saying her date canceled. Yes. She could hang out. He doesn't even listen to the end of her sentence. Right. He just runs across. So the, by the like, time the she's done with the sentence, he's behind her and he says, sorry, I'm late. Right. Which is funny. That's funny. He's really sweet. So they, of course, have a nice afternoon date at the swimming pool. Yes. Right. First, there's some business with the old ladies. Yes. Because uh, she's at like a rooming house or whatever. You right. Know, she's like a what is it know, like an SRO or uh, yeah, you know, nice a nice young single woman. Who we can't forget the bus ride. Either. Then they get on the bus. Right. Well, and also all the other women are like fawning Fall, over him, falling all over. So him then and all this, that, uh, right. what do you call it? What, what do you call this sort of old lady it's who the, looks it's over the a lady's matron. house? The matron. It's the matron. You know, like I think an old marm. The, the whole idea was like, you know, if you're a single young yes. woman, you got you got to be living in a, a proper, in a place right. where you're not going to get into any trouble, right? Yeah. Uh, and they can, you know, if there's a gentleman caller, he'll come into the drawing room right. and it'll all be oh, formal. You know, he's not going to like room. come knock yeah. on your bedroom door. This just to knock you up. It feels like to me the only Buster movie where they kind of acknowledge that he's hot. Uh, yeah. You know well, what I'm saying? Like the fact. I guess you're not right. to a silly degree. And no, I, no, no. But like that, ladies want bus. He's so low status in his energy, and he's so oblivious. But there's like when he makes like eye contact with the woman in the crowd, she immediately catches uh, him. Obviously, right? in Seven Chances, the ladies want Buster, but they want his. They money. want for his money. Yeah, I think in this, there's this. You know, without him seeing cocky, it's like this thing of like everyone is throwing themselves at him. Right. He um, only has eyes for um her name sally yes uh but yes they they he he ends up uh on on the roof of the bus uh yeah you got you got biz bus business and yeah. then the uh swimming pool or what, what what do we call this the you know the baths yes right it's the city plunge right right follows her into the red ladies room uh, big mistake Don't renting a bathing suit terrible guys. right i mean the, I, I don't know hygiene i guess was Different then? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I guess it was a bit of a luxury to own a bathing suit because it's like I don't. Yeah. I don't. Know, I don't. Know. I don't know why. I don't know. The you know the the the, the sort of like sociology of like public bathing and the way it changed over the, is interesting because obviously man has gone in water since time mm. immemorial, yes. right? Yeah. But like then you you know all the like the Victorian bathing machines. You know about that. Where they would like build a house no. in the water, okay, so you could like get in the water without anyone seeing you. That's insane. You know what I mean? Okay. Like so, like obviously, yes, you may have to remove some clothes. You're probably right. still wearing like a top to bottom brown, you know, yeah. <laughs> like bathing suit. But like no one has to see that because your your bathing house is on the water and has walls. A little cabana, yes, yes, sort of weird. Okay, yes. insanity. But yeah. you know, this is like you know, he goes to these lockers. Where I guess it's just, you know, come one, come all. So he gets in there and then another guy just sort of, you know, barges in with him. And Sedgwick wanted to play the guy in the dress. Sedgwick kind of looks like, like when I see pictures of him, he looks like this guy. More of a husky, you know. He he was like six foot one, 300 pounds. Right. Right. And Buster said, the guy needs to be the same height as me because he can be a little bit rough. 
but if he's too much taller than me, people are going to think the guy's going to knock me out. Right. This guy can't be like that much of a physical threat to me. He can just seem a little bit tough. Look, the guy's a little mean because Buster says, this is my dressing room. And the guy says, shut up or it'll be your coffin. Yes. So he's, he's going right to murder. But I also like that it's sort of He's this... He's not even like, I'll give you a black eye. No, <laughs> no. Like, your final resting place is this fucking dressing room. I think this guy was like, he was the locations manager. So he was a crew member. Uh-huh, okay. He was yeah, not yeah, a performer. Yeah, sure, sure. He was right. a crew member. And um, uh, it, it, the, the thing I like is that it's just sort of this like stereotype of a New Yorker. Where he's like, excuse me, I'm already in here. And the guy sort of has the attitude of like, yeah, well, I walked in here and I'm too busy to get out of here. Um, you just got to fucking live with and it. And also, Buster's doing all the finesse comedy. This guy's just, you know, elbows and, you know. That's what's like, remarkable yeah. about it is like he just told the guy, undress and I will do comedy around you. Right. But then, of course, they're getting their clothing items well, like caught Buster up on Buster kind of other. like getting on his back is, yes. the, is, the, is one of the funniest parts. It's so good. It yeah. is. I mean, obviously, like I said, I do think this is like the whole thing with these Buster movies is I'd seen some of them mm-hmm. and others I would be like, well, I know about that bit. You know that bit. Right. Um, like, right. you know, like the uh the avalanche or yes. things like that. You know, and like this one, yes, this the the changing room is kind of the most famous character. Yeah, and once bit. again, he reuses this for the rest of his and career. Once again, oh just want to shout out, Buster. Great bod, total cutie. This is slamming. the scene. This is the scene when he starts to pull up his tank top, and you're like, "Fucking shredded!" No, no shit, he was shredded. The guy was yeah. working like crazy and was like oh, doing all absolutely. this athletic stuff. But I think usually he tries to hide it, and then you look at this, and you're like, "Yeah, he's like built like fucking Spider Man. He is yeah, like yeah. zero body fat." He'd probably be a good Spider Man. He'd be a great. Oh my god. 1940s Buster Keaton. Should we bring back this kind of bathing suit, like the dude? In the kind of rest, the old timey wrestler, you know, yeah. jumpsuity kind of thing, like yeah. with suspenders. David, if you ever see me on the beach, I'm wearing fucking this. <laughs> no one's ever seeing my nipples. Why not? They suck. Get him out. No. <laughs> I'll wear, I'll go shirtless <laughs> with pasties on. That, that is might so draw disturbing. More that is a very <laughs> disturbing visual. Chicken cutlets. And then, you know, we're in the baths. Yeah. Uh, there's the thing where, he swims like kind of onto the platform you get in on. So <laughs> yes. he's kind of swimming in place. Uh-huh. That's pretty funny. Yes. Uh, these bats are pretty cool. They have like a fountain. Yeah. You know, the yeah. kind of fancy bath. They're trying to play catch. And there's this group of fucking jerks. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. A bunch of steak sellers. Who, who are like, look at this <laughs> little guy. Yeah. I mean, it's just Fuck like him. I'm yeah. going to catch the ball. Yeah, he's, this is he, my girl. She, they're trying to play catch, and they these guys keep like you know getting in the way. This is my yes. girl now. Right. Uh, there's some diving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ben's you know, slamming his fist in anger. Really, you know, really good diving. So You're Buster, supposed to be annoyed by them, Ben. This is the whole point. It's very but, effective. But Buster's like, let me do a really good dive for you, and yeah. and she's like. Like begging him not to. She's at this point, I think, gets the deal with him and is like, don't do that. This is what I like. I like that she, she, she gets him. She gets him and she's like, you don't need to do anything to impress me. He's sort of, it's, this is like the one movie where he doesn't understand he's already won. Right. 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 Like, she wants to go on a date with him. She's charmed by him. She likes him. He's he's winding himself up to prove a point that doesn't need to be proven at this point. But, but uh, he does this overly extreme dive. He dives so hard that it knocks all of his knocks clothes, his clothes off. off. And then he's uh, 
He, it's a little risque. He's searching yes. for his bathing suit. He can't see anything, but you can tell he's he's nude under it, the water. It's well done where he he dives in. You yep. see his body you go see down. His suit you see the suit rise up. You see him come out. There's clear like water in his eyes. Yeah. He swims over, like dog paddles over to the edge, and then you see the suit floating in the background. Yeah, he, he tries to get a leg up to get out, and then he's like, oh. Yeah. You know, can't do this, you know. And basically fun. it's, how do I get out of this pool without becoming a sex offender, right? Well, That's the bit then. Well, well, Buster, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done a fancy dive. Maybe you shouldn't have done a fancy dive. Plus, your girlfriend is so cute. Yeah, she's very cute. So she's like... I think she's great in this too. I do too. And I... She's really good. I like the fact that like, I, I think they have... Um, the, um actress's name. Uh, the actress's name is uh, Marceline Day, yes. uh, and she is... Uh, she was a bathing beauty? She uh, was, uh, right? Yes. Uh, she, well, let's see. She was one of the baby stars, okay. which is another one of these promotional campaigns for cuties. Was that a Max Senate thing? Uh, it was the uh, Western Association of Motion Picture Advertisers. It was sort of an It Girl adjacent thing, and it okay. included... The baby stars included, like... Joan Crawford, Mary Astor, Janet Gaynor, like okay. know, big, big uh, future names. My right? favorite babies. So, like being in that mm -hmm. would would boost your um, would boost your uh, cred. And yeah. then she was in a movie called London After Midnight, Midnight, which is a classic Lon Chaney movie that is lost. That's the one the we talked about, where I made you look up the monster design. That's like fucking insane. Uh huh. Uh, it's too insane. It's, cre it's creepy. Yeah. Creepy uh, as shit. She also did uh, The Jazz Age. I think okay. it was a pretty big Douglas Fairbanks movie back then. Um, but, you know, uh, at a certain point, you know, she lived till she was 91 years old. Hey. Wow. I, th I think they have, just by the nature of this story uh, and the fact that she's, you know, sort of into him from the beginning, they have more kind of conventional romantic comedy chemistry in this than he often does yeah. with his women who are sort of at a pedestal that he's running to try to reach, you know? I like that you get to spend time with the two of them actually hitting it off. All right, so they get out of there. She's like, let's go to the beach. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's this whole business with the mean guy shows up yes. in the car mm -hmm. And he's like, I'll drive you home. Mm -hmm. And then he puts Buster in this, like, bitch seat in the back. <laughs> As it, like, torrential downpour. And then it starts raining. I mean, he barely lets him get a seat. Oh, he's he driving He puts away. him in the trunk, essentially. But this, like, tiny bits of just, like, you know, you see him sit in the, in the bitch seat, right? <laughs> and then it cuts to the car finally pulling up to its resting place. Now there's a storm. You yeah, see you him see there. The rain he's flooded. He right. takes he's his cap off. Under. And he's trying to scoop the water out. With his hat. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Pretty funny stuff. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, they're inside high and dry. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to mack in on her. He's trying to, right, yeah. he's trying to hone in. He's trying yeah. to get Buster out of the way. Mm -hmm. Buster's all wet. Mm -hmm. She goes upstairs. Is he doomed? There's this thing also... Griff, mm -hmm. where we keep seeing this street cop. Oh my God. This who's guy. sort of like making faces at Buster. Yeah. So what's the vibe with a street cop? Well, I think it's like you set up one specific uh, uh, sort of authority figure. This guy who's just kind of like, that guy's up to no good. Like, I have my eye on him. He like recurs in scene after scene. Yeah. I like him. I think it's a yeah, fun no, dynamic. Like, yeah, yeah. But, but it's sort of like versus something like cops. Harry Gribben. Yes. He was a big... Big, uh, he did 140 films yeah. in you know 20 years. Yeah, 
It's always the same thing. Yeah, stock company player. Um, so the street cop hassles him. No, I like. I'm saying versus something like Cops the Short, which is obviously a masterpiece, but turns like the cops into right. like an amorphous a blob. Body. Right. Yes. I like centralizing it around like one guy who's always going to be the guy on the corner who's always looking at him askance. Um, checking to see if he's goofy. Yeah. So Buster's Because this sad. movie doesn't have the disapproving dad. The boss in this film, you know, at MGM is not as much of a villain as usually he has a couple antagonists, right? There's the, the romantic rival, but then there's also some elder statesman figure, some parental figure. Yeah. Right. And I feel like the cop is filling that role in this. The guy who's just constantly judging him. Um, but looking no, to catch him in the act. But Buster is, he goes back to the MGM. Yeah. Uh, they for, first dismiss him, but then they send him to cover a celebration in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Well, and, she gets the tip off. Yeah, yeah, right, right. She, he, they, they're like beat it. And she's like, I heard right. there's something happening in Chinatown that you could go, you know, film. And he's like, okay. Something's going to happen. I'm not going to fuck it up. And then yep. he immediately puts the camera through the door window, which is funny. Yes. Um, but, and then there's this whole crazy, like, well, like David, what happens piece. before this? Uh, when well, he's trying to position himself. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's an organ grinder. Which I think was always, like, it seems like this was always in the pitches for yes. every, they're like, and there's a bit with a monkey. Yeah. Right. You know, like, you know, Thalberg is like, and when does the monkey come in? Yes. He has an organ grinder monkey, right? Right. Monkeys are funny, which he conceded to. He, I, it's the same thing I like about Go West. He's really good with animals. Yeah. And monkey, look, the monkey's in a little sailor suit. Monkey always Monkey funny. cute. Monkey always funny. But you feel bad, but also it's it's it, it's fun to see. Yeah, the Viola Davis thing I always invoke about like her, you know no actor is more interesting than watching a cat because you can't totally read what they're doing, but there's something fascinating going on at every minute. Sure, uh, it's it, Buster acts with the sort of behavioral subtlety of watching a wild animal right. that you cannot totally Look. read, and so when you watch him act with an animal, be it a cow or a monkey you do feel like they're on the exact same page, you know? But also, I mean, this monkey, I assume, probably, you know, done 40 pictures, oh, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. it's a, this monkey call was cut, the, the monkey lights a cigarette, and it's like, yeah. oh, God. This monkey was the fourth highest paid star at MGM <laughs> at the time. Um, but the Oregon Grinder's sort of running this con. Yes. Of, uh, hey, you fell over, you crushed my monkey, you have to pay me for the dead pay monkey. Pay for my monkey, right. And the cop right. makes him pay, and then immediately the monkey springs back to life, and now the monkey's like his AC, his yep. assistant camera. The monkey's so cute. The monkey's so cute. Him out. And then you just got so many good little gags here. I mean, this whole, like, war breaks out, right? right? The Tong War, which the is Tong war. a real thing. Yes. The rival factions in Chinatown would sometimes yes. erupt into, you know, crazy, you know, fighting. Especially right. in San Francisco, I think. This, this is his biggest sequence where you have this parade that turns into, like, an all-out street war. Um, but you have him at the sidelines cranking his camera, and then the monkey pulls up next to him with a Gatling gun and starts shooting the Gatling gun in perfect timing with him mm-hmm. so that it looks like he's firing out of the camera. Right. Uh, and then he has to stop the monkey from shooting at people. There's just this one crazy shot where he cuts to the wide of the street. Yes. And it's like people are shooting from every window yeah. and scattering and running around. And, you know, it's just impressive. 
But there's he also he goes up to the elevated platform where there's sort of the scaffolding, yes, right, right, yes. and then the piece of the scaffolding it falls, falls over, <laughs> and so it sort of turns into like a makeshift crane shot where he's like craning down into the action. It's this thing where suddenly like he's getting the most incredible footage possible. He's right there, and for once, like nature is helping him. The environment is helping yes, him, and his mishaps are not. You know, they're our only help thing as well. Right. Right. It's like it's suddenly like the power of cinema is like on his side. Yeah. Uh, you think he's killing it. He goes back. He's so excited. It, it opens up the camera. There's nothing in it. Uh, yes. He fucked up. He forgot to load the film. Right. She gets in trouble. Yeah, for she tipped him, him off. off. Because then it, it, none of the other professional cameramen got there in time. She gave him the exclusive tip off. And now she's also in trouble. Um, they have one last shot. It's frustrating to fuck up. Yes. And uh, it's this, uh, you know, um, right? You know, it's the boat stuff, right? Yeah. That's the final, that's the final sequence, really. Well, the asshole goes boating with her. Yes. And he capsizes the boat. Like an idiot. He's like an showboating. Idiot. He's right. going too fast. Showboating, truly. Truly. So he smashes into Buster's rowboat capsizes. Buster rescues her. Right. But well, then, it's actually, it's going around in circles. Yes. Yeah, he's and like, she's like drowning, drowning in the center. And he swims away. He oh, swims right, away yeah. like a, a fucking yes. coward. He's he a sucks. Coward. Then Buster goes, rescues her, brings her back to the beach, goes to get some supplies. Yeah, he runs to the drugstore. I yes. don't know. And, and the, then he comes the, up. The, the villain, the cad. Yes. Pretends he rescued her, but. But. The monkey was filming the whole time. The monkey there. Learned how to crank the camera. Good shit. Is filming the entire time. And then it turns out like all the footage is there, right? The, the monkey swapped the reels. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And right. so they actually have everything. They have everything. So Buster is a success and there's evidence of his girlfriend's boyfriend being an asshole. Right, which he goes and screens. They're like, this is the greatest footage we've ever seen. And this guy sucks. And then he gets a fucking ticker tape parade because they gave those at New York was... Easy with well, ticker tape parades. Well, 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 well. It's actually well. not for him. It's for, this is what it's I for Charlie I, Lindbergh. I think this is so much of my love of this movie is I find this ending so poetic. Go right? off on the ending. Buster so rarely wins in his movies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes he gets to, you know, uh, turn into a gravestone with his wife. <laughs> I think even when he... he... usually wins <laughs> in that, like, things are going to be okay for Buster. Yes, yes. But, it, but it feels like there's there's a bit of an indignity in the win, or he's often maybe not, like, aware of how things have worked out. He still seems oblivious, you know? Right. Or, you know, he wins by, like, the skin of his teeth, but everything still feels a little on edge. The guy's still a little bit under the boot of society, right? This ending is one of the only times where, like, it feels like he gets to feel good about himself in mm. any movie. Mm. And it still is him being oblivious and misunderstanding, but for once in a way that actually makes him happy. Right. Right? She tells him, we watched your footage. It's unbelievable. Right. Also, I know this guy's a fucking jerk now. Because he's already, by the way, uh, he he hands it in. He goes. He fucking pawns off his camera again. Right. Goes back to the tin type. He's thrown in the towel. He's he up. thinks he's over. Yeah. And she comes in, finds him is like, they think it's the best footage they ever seen. You won't believe the reception they're gonna throw for you. Right. So he then thinks suddenly 
ticker tape start flying around him. This must be for me. Drums. This is the reception she's talking about. They're so happy with me. They're throwing a parade for me. And he starts like, you see his posture change as he walks down the street with her. And he starts like waving sort of like magnanimously to the crowd. Right. And then you cut back and realize it's Charles Lindbergh. Right. Which, of course, the original pitch for this movie yes. was a Charlie Lindbergh thing. Right. And instead, it's a movie in which he basically gets to reap the rewards in his mind right. of Charles Lindbergh. He gets to feel like Lindbergh for a moment. Yeah. It's nice. I think this movie's great. I'm not like yeah. fucking steakhaws over here. <laughs> Man, it's just, I hate that the world is set up where there's just always going to be. I think you're bustered out. These, these we watch a lot of them in a short period of time, and also, and like, it's like that's what I'm saying. Like, they're yeah. always gonna have the little bit of the vibe of like, man, you know, the world's always against, usually yeah. against you. It's that's tough the thing. To, I tough just, to stick out. Look, there. it's obviously as if it needs to be said. The reason I love Buster Keaton so much is this is just how I feel all the time. I know. I, I it's not hard to see how you identify with this boy. Yes, I definitely get it. Right. So I'm just like these movies are all my worldview mm-hmm. for sure. Um, These are all like the indignities of life. You know, the small, tiny indignities of any given moment. And that it's always, it's always going to be kind of the most ridiculous scenario plays out. Yeah. Right? That doesn't work in your favor. Correct. It's frustrating because it Correct. feels, I mean, obviously it's exaggerated. It's yeah. the movies, but. But you look for these tiny little moments. Things kind of do happen like You that look for too. these tiny little moments of grace. And I, I I think the parade is one of them. And there's it's it's rare that he I don't know. I, I just think it's rare that he has a positive misinterpretation of a situation. Sure. And especially for that to be the note the movie ends on. Spite marriage. He no, go- no, no, no. Uh, 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 uh. Box, Box office, office game. game. I'm sorry. Sir. I'm sorry. Shush. The monkey's Box name game. was Josephine. Hey. Nice name. Famous monkey. They always are. She was like they? the crystal of her day. Had an illustrious career. Yeah. Um, yes, a very famous monkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most famous monkey in motion pictures lived to a grand old age of at least 35 because there's a picture of her celebrating her 35th birthday. Okay. Uh, okay, number one. This movie opens at number 10 mm-hmm. on the charts. Okay. Uh, so number one at the box office, Griffin, mm-hmm. is a drama. Okay. Uh, a nautical or, you know, aquatic drama. Mutiny on the Bounty? No. Uh, good guess. Uh, mm. It's a William K. Howard film starring Victor McLaughlin, and it is called The River Pirate. Oh, okay. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah, that sounds cool. Okay, number two at the box office, Griffin, and this is the first time I can do this. Mm. The Best Picture winner from the oh. year before. The first winner of Best Picture. Wings. It's the film Wings mm-hmm. with Clara Bow, of course. Yes. And uh, very young Gary Cooper is in that film, among others. Charles Rogers. Tra- uh, Charles Rogers, uh, past and future guest? No. Uh, in fact, Buddy Rogers was oh, his nickname. Okay. Uh, and in the late 20s and early 30s, he was known as, quote, America's Boyfriend. Uh, the only truly silent film to win Best Picture. Correct. Uh, obviously, Sunrise also wins Most Unique and Artistic Picture that year. Right. And there's some people who say that really should be considered 
the best picture, the yeah. first best picture winner, because Wings actually won outstanding production. Right. And Wings, if you've seen it, it's a bit long, but it does have these incredible like right. flying sequences. It's such an impressive movie. Yes. But but um, it, those yeah. titles feel representative of what they were awarding. Right. That having said, Sunrise rips so fucking well. Sunrise, Sunrise is, is one of the greatest amazing, movies ever made. Yeah. And Wings is like an interesting artifact. An impressive achievement. Yeah, a historical document. Yeah. Uh, so that's Wings, number two. Mm-hmm. It's been in the box office for about a year. Big ass hit. Okay. Uh, big old hit. Uh, number three at the box office is an Ernst Lubitsch film. Hmm. Oh. 1928. Mainly silent, although it does have some talking sequences. It's a biography of Emperor Paul of Russia. Huh. And it stars Emil Jannings, fairly well-known oh, actor. Yes. Oscar um, winner. Uh, Fuck, who this... did a lot of like Murnau movies? But and, is uh, the uh, the last laugh right? Uh, that is a movie, but this movie is the Patriot. That wasn't my guess. I'm saying that's his most famous starring role. Probably. Oh, 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 yes. Uh, the Last Command is a movie he won an Oscar for. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, he did a lot of whatever. A lot of movies. Yeah, last Laugh's a great movie. It's a Murnau movie. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen all these fucking 20s movies. What okay. do you want from me? I don't know. Um, but I don't know. It looks like a movie where he's in like big makeup and... Cool. Yeah, good uh, good ass actor. But it's Lubitsch. I know. I should watch it. I'm... I'm uh, Silent Lubitsch to. is a big blind spot for me. It's I, I wouldn't call that a big blind spot. Big ass blind okay, spot. it's a big blind spot. Okay, it's number four. Uh, a silent drama. Mm. Joseph von Sternberg. Another, mm. uh, you know, giant... Yes. Of, of of early cinema, uh, starring, but this is not a Dietrich movie. It's uh, George Bancroft and Betty Comston. Okay, the title refers to a location. Is it Docks of New York? The Docks of New York. Hey, now I've seen that one. There you go. Is it good? Yeah, it's fucking rules. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's also a tight seventy six. Yeah, maybe I should check it out. Love to see it. Uh, a variety, of course, called it a corking picture. It is. I think I should start busting that in my reviews. Yeah. Hey, this Dungeon Dragons it's corking. When when Michael Phillips goes on film spotting, he always uses the terms that we're finding in Buster reviews of the era, uh, which I love. Michael right. Phillips, uh, in a way that feels uh, earned, we'll call movies a pip. Yeah, a or pip a corker. Is good. Pip is good. Uh, I like that one. Uh, what can I say? This one's a uh, it's a corker. Number five, another silent drama. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Dorothy McHale. Okay. Ralph Forbes. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's set in the horse racing world. Uh, it's called Watch Her Go. It's called The Whip. Oh. Because you're... Ka-chow. All right. Some other films. You've got a Joan Crawford movie called Our Dancing Daughters, hmm. which is about the loosening of youth morals. Oh, oh. Uh, launched the career of Joan Crawford. You've got a John Barrymore movie called... The Tempest. Oh, no, sorry. Just called Tempest, uh-huh. which is a Russian drama, you know, historical drama. Uh, you have a pre-code horror movie, the second talkie horror movie released by Warner wow. Brothers following Lights of New York, which okay. is a, an old classic, called The Terror. Oh, with Boris Karloff? No. Huh. Not with Boris Karloff. So, whatever. Maybe there's... I'm curious what The Terror is. Um, and he also made a movie called The Terror. might have. It's a pretty good title. And then you've got a drama called Lilac Time. Oh, yeah, the Boris Karloff terror is from fucking 1963. Well, That's with Jack Nicholson. What was I talking about? The terror. Oh, I know that. I've heard of that one with Nicholson. Yeah. yeah. 
Casino um, English Manor House or stalked by a mysterious killer known as the Terror. I don't know. Sounds fucking cool. All right. So obviously, I would say the jewel of these movies that we were talking about this week is the cameraman. I think Spite Marriage just doesn't quite come together. Um, I agree. Yeah. It's got good stuff in it, but it's got, a, it's got some bits. It does feel like he's losing some life force. You uh, you feel the defeat in this one. Yeah, I so. think this setup is pretty good, even if it's not necessarily a perfect Buster setup. Mm-hmm. It's one of these things I, I've seen people say this as we uh, do these episodes, but just like, man, there are so many silent comedies with really good premises that studios should be remaking now because they're not these sacred texts, right? And sure. they're just good comedy setups. And this is one where I was like, this is a good fucking comedy setup premise. And then I realized, basically, marry me. The J Lo Owen Wilson sure. version is a less acidic version of this premise. But Buster is a sort of hapless man. He's a dry cleaner. He's a dry cleaner. He has a crush on an actress, a star. He goes to see her show every single night. He dresses up like a fancy gentleman. Brings flowers, has a top hat. Yes, but it's all an act. Uh, She is in love with her co-star in the show. Yes, Lionel Benmore. Yes. Good name. Is a parody of Lionel Barrymore, take off on. Um, He instead goes for another young woman. And out of I think I think for the the, the newer younger lady too there's yes. a little bit of a right the blonder yes, yes. Uh, the new starlet and uh, she out of spite to uh, earn her his jealousy in her mind decides to marry this man who is constantly hovering around for, her. first guy she sees the guy yes. she assumes so she yeah uh, it is kind of clear similar to marry me because. She even has like a manager who's like, this is a terrible idea. Yes. Like, you know, like, you know, she has handlers right. who think it's a bad idea. Right. Marry Me has the weird element. Look, I watch Marry Me on a plane and it's a perfect plane movie. Yeah. Marry Me is, f- no, look, Marry Me is fine. Yeah. It's just that I just, there. I'm just like, there's no way these people have sex. No. That's my whole problem with that movie. They yeah. just did not have, they had kind of cute friend chemistry. They have cute friend chemistry. But they just did not have any romantic chemistry. No. Like, and J-Lo can have chemistry with a lot of people. She's, you know, she's pretty charming. Yes, she can. And yes. Owen Wilson is more of a specific vibe these days. Yeah. Maybe always has been. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, they just were an odd match. Yes. But there's also the weird thing in that premise, which is, like, he doesn't even know her stuff, really. He gets dragged to the concert by his daughter and his best friend, Sarah Silverman. Oh, oh yes, yeah, and right, he's right. holding he the sign care. by right. accident. Right, like he gets he gets past the marry me sign. Right, yes. it's like a complete sort of chance thing. Whereas what what I think is kind of fun in this premise is Buster is her biggest fan. Yes, he is getting what in his mind is his greatest dream. Right, and then it immediately turns out to be like much more intense than he could ever imagine. Because it's a spite marriage. It's see. a spite marriage, and he is but a pawn in a game he doesn't quite understand. Let me give you a little context. Mm-hmm. Little little context. Mm-hmm. Um, MGM's biggest note after Cameraman is this movie needs to be cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no more overruns, my friend. So mm-hmm. they finalize a big script. Yes. Thalberg uh, is very, you know, involved. Apparently the first draft had a cannibal island on it. And they, they were wanted like, we the already same did that. fucking ending as, now, as uh, except, Navigator. Yeah. Except I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was the same. It was even the final. Damn, crazy. I know. Um, I mean, obviously this movie has a boat and stuff. Like I can see that they're thinking like, oh, the boat runs aground on an island, but it's just the same fucking ending as the Navigator. And it's another one of these things where you're just like, minute 50, he runs out of 
spite marriage premise. What happens now? I don't know. We go to a boat. I do boat bits. Right. Like, it just felt like when Buster was, like, out of ideas, he would get in a boat. For sure. Uh, a boat or a train, and he's like, I can get 20 minutes out of this. Um, there was a fight over the bridal suite sequence. We can talk about that. That's the best sequence in the movie. They wanted to cut it out, and Buster said he talked like a Dutch oven to save that scene. I'm not really sure what that means. I but don't I either, like but I'm that when you it. fart under the sheets? <laughs> that yeah. is what I think of as a Dutch oven, right. yes. But I don't think Buster filled a, a, a bed with his farts to win over Irving Thalberg. He work, walked into Irving Thalberg's office and went... <laughs> or maybe he was like, I have farted so much in this blanket wrapped around me. If you don't keep the scene, I'll, I'll throw I'll it over your it. head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, but he did fight for it. Uh, mm -hmm. There's lots of, um, you know, frustration at this point between mm -hmm. Buster and the executives. Thalberg loved the cameraman. It's not like they no, don't like the it. final product. Right. So Keaton is like, I fucking proved my point, but they won't give me my control back. Yeah. Um, but there's, I mean, we, you know, we've covered stuff like this before, but I just always think about that quote uh, Sam Raimi says about working on the Spider-Man movies where he's like, I never thought I'd get hired for it. Yeah. They hired me for it. I never thought they'd let me do what I want. They let me do what I wanted. Then the sequel comes around. They give me even more leash. They let me do exactly what I want. The movie's even more well-received. And then the third movie comes around, and they're like, okay, we got some rules for you. Right, Suddenly, right. even though they appreciate what he did and it worked, they, I think when the stakes get higher, people then start to want to be able to claim there's, credit. There's And there's money and, you know, more money, more yeah. problems, yeah. as a certain notorious P.I.G. once told us. Yeah, it's also, look, this is the fucking problem with, like, studio Not executives. P.I.G., because no, he's in Space Jam and New Legacy. Of course. Talking about notorious P.I.G. And we all remember that's the funniest thing that ever happened. Wait. Buster wishes he could have come up with something that good. I mean, look, I mean, I'm just amazed that notorious P.I.G. has not shown up in other WB projects. They should I'd start slotting fucking, him Yeah, in. exactly. Algae Rhythm should start fucking putting him in every season of True Detective, uh, retrofitting him into Algy everything Rhythm, in the catalog. He's, you know, he's in a big fight with Zaslav, yes. and he's been relegated to Nat Geo. No, I can't even <laughs> do these jokes. That Nat Geo is a Disney man anyway. Uh, look, one other thing that's happening mm -hmm. is... There's a lot of gossip because yeah. Buster's on the MGM lot now, and apparently yeah. he's flirting with the ladies because his uh his marriage is on the rocks. This uh he says it's all you know guff. It's all made up. These gossip columnists, you know, they just like to they like to say he's flirting with ladies. But, but I by think most accounts, the leading lady in this film, he sort of has an on and off affair with for the next decade. Correct. Dorothy Sebastian yes. is her name. They they certainly had a long thing. Yes. Um, this is yes. also the movie where his drinking starts his to drinking is really starting. take hold. Um, uh, but no, the, the other thing we haven't mentioned is yeah. he initially was like, let's do a sound movie. This is the thing. And I had always thought. down to, it'll have a sync track. It'll have some sound effects. I had so always like, incorrectly yeah. thought that MGM was the one pushing sound on him. And in fact, he said, I want to make let's my first it. sound picture. Right. And they said no, A, because sound was so new and MGM was kind of slowest in the sound race. They were. Because they were the creakiest, most conservative, most like yes. classical, you right. know, yeah, right. Right, this newfangled modern toy, we don't need this thing. They basically had... They said it was a fat. It, it, they it said it was a fat. to no end. Yes. Crazy. Yes. Uh, they, they had like one sound kit. So they were like, first of all, someone else claimed it. Sure. Right. There's only one sound movie at any given point in time, right? And two... You know, I think internally they were like, the last thing we need is to give Buster Keaton another toy to fidget with. Don't 
add anything that makes this film more complicated. So the concession was in post, we can have a synchronized soundtrack right. with sound effects and music. You can use those to your advantage. He was never really going to use dialogue anyway, but he wanted to be getting this sound live. I think, I have to imagine for him, a he's such a technology nut, right? That he's I think intrigued. he was interested in it. Totally. But I also have to imagine that part of it was, I need to keep up with the times. Yeah. If I'm going to fight for slapstick comedy to survive... I need to also let's Ben's got a slapstick. Uh, I need to also Burn try to let this thing evolve to the new medium. Yes. And uh, as we said, like, look, people have still done this in a talkie era. Sure. He wanted to be there. You think we should still call movies talkies? Yeah, I do. Be like, I'm going to go see the new talkie, yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Mm -hmm. They do talk in it. It's like a 12 reeler. Uh, the most grueling part of the shoot, mm -hmm. the yacht sequence, uh, apparently at one point, Buster fell in the water, Okay, came out looking happy, and mm. they were like, the water's freezing, are you okay? And he said, oh, I always cover myself with goose grease when I have water stuff to do. <laughs> goose grease? Whatever the fuck that is, but he was like, keeps the heat in. Wow. Lord knows what he was putting on his body, yeah. but uh, may have literally been goose fat, for okay. all I know. Sure. Um, but uh, I think generally the shoot was not that complicated. No, it did go over budget, uh -huh. but it cost two eighty two, so it was yeah. cheaper than the cameraman. Yes, uh, and on though it got decent reviews and did totally fine at yeah. the box office. Uh, you know, again, not I think maybe not quite the spectacular hit they want from their new star contract guy. No, and and after this, they just promptly say, uh, "Here's the deal: you are an actor in our now. stable. Like, that's it. right. We are slotting you in where we want to." Um, I think, yeah, I think that you know the the best stuff in the movie is the sort of early days of their marriage. I mean, stuff like obviously the sequence of him getting in her into bed when she's drunk. Anything where she sort of makes herself a handful and he is trying to account for her, you know? Mm. Um, it's it's fun to see the woman in a Buster Keaton picture be this high be status. This, and be kind of the stinker. Be the dilemma. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. that stuff has a little bit of juice. Yeah. She's kind of mean to him. She is. Spite marriage, I guess. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a good title. It's kind of a funny title. Yeah. And she ends up on the boat, and that's fine. Yeah, we don't need to know why. Really. No, no, but it is it. You do you feel like okay? He's he's really just going back to the old reliables here. Um. Well, let's see. What are some? Other, you know, there's the whole sequence on stage where he's like in costume as a soldier. That part's fun, right? Uh, because kind of funny, it, right? He's seen the show so many times that he can sub in, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's got the silly beard on. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, what else? Uh, what else happens? Let me, in look. Let me scrub. I'm, I'm scrubbing too. Yeah. You know, some, we're both scrubbing. There's them in. It is the nice thing about doing these yeah, movies is you scrub. can just fucking have it up on your screen, scrub through, and remind oh. yourself of the things. It takes her to dinner. That is when the sound effects do not work at all. The laughing, it's yes. psychotic. Yes. It made me feel like I was having a mental breakdown. And I kind of am. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, she gets like too drunk at dinner and there's a lot of hijinks there. And then they just end up on a boat. Yeah. It is kind of all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, he hops into a cab. Yes. That drops him at the docks. Yeah. That, And that's how he ends up on the boat. But because uh, the guy was shooting at. I do also Someone. feel like this movie has more uh, title cards. Like, there's more Definitely. dialogue. There's more sort of, like, banter. Yeah. I don't know if that, you know, is just how the times were changing. Yeah, I mean, like, like 45 you know. minutes in, the, the Barrymore figure tells him, she's marrying you to make me angry. Right. Uh, they get in a fight, I yeah. think, at that point. And that's honestly, like, when he gets, like, forced into, like, he drives his car, the cab into the ocean, and then, like, a boat picks him up. Yeah. And then she's on the boat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as is the the jerky guy, you mm-hmm. know, the Ben Moore. Right. Then it just becomes a different movie, Then it's basically. just a boat movie. You know, right. there's a whole thing with sails. There's a whole thing with, like, a flooding room yeah. where he has to get the water out of the room. Yeah. And it ends with a bunch of bonks. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit with a chef. Uh, there's this whole sort of like set that has like a staircase that I feel like I wanted more from. Uh, I, I look, I want like more, more, more hijinks from like, all of this. I, I, yeah. you know, it's a tiny little thing, but I like the little dog he has, the sad eyed dog that looks kind of like him, the sure. little toy. Mm. He yeah. does this sort of little puppetry routine with. I mean, it's possible it was just kind of like also a little bustered out, but I do just think. It's not as clean no. premise for some reason. And so, you know. No, it's it this is this is him getting everything taken away from him, you know? This is him kind of giving up. There's just not not enough juice. No. Not enough juice. No, and you know, he uh the the movies he makes after this at MGM, as we said, they're the three Durante comedies, What No Beer is the End of the Run, The Sidewalks of New York, uh uh, free and easy. I mean, there's like a, a whole run. Sure. About eight of them, I think. Uh, the MGM talkie pictures that come after this. Most of them are hits. He, he remains hits, bankable do, without really remaining I think very he, relevant. I think he just... Well, let me... Here, we have some context yeah. on this sort of like the fallout of this movie. Yeah. Um, MGM... One one problem is, of course, sound comes in. Yes. So suddenly all of Keaton's movies make less money generally. Right. Like he's yeah. just old news. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, you can, this happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever idea MG Hammond had for him pumping out films yeah. crashes into that and just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, so he can't, he's not making movies. The only movie he makes in 1930 is this film Hollywood Review, which is just like every MGM contract player. That does, is like the, the a, scene, a bit. The scene in Babylon where they have where they're like doing singing in the rain is yes. from this. Yes, and Buster's one of the guys doing singing in the rain, and then they basically give him one segment to do a slapstick routine. He does a Princess Raja routine, yes. whatever that is. Sure, um, you know Thalberg at a certain point steps aside, uh, like as his overseer. Yeah. He's doing other stuff, uh, and that is a point that this new guy called uh, Weingarten comes in. He's just he's the one who's like, you are now an actor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, free and easy, like you said. A uh, movie called Doughboys. Yes, Doughboys is kind of fun. I assume that's sort of a war comedy. I, I'd argue that's the best of the talkies. I've definitely seen the poster where he has the like the helmet, like you know he looked where he's yes. a doughboy. Uh, I've never seen the movie, obviously. Yes. Um, and he's Spoon Nation in that movie. I think ultimately yeah, that's the side he's fighting on. Right. He's not burger. He's not in the burger brigade. He's not in the burger brigade. But um, 
Uh, you know, you just read these accounts of like Cedric and people who are just like, you just saw him on set sulking. Right. And drinking. Yes. Uh, drinking himself to sleep. He would drink uh, a full bottle of whiskey. You don't want to do that. Every night. FYI. Yes. Drink yourself to sleep. If you're drinking yourself to sleep, maybe evaluate what you're doing there. Yeah. I, I think you get a better rest. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Right. Yeah. Of course. You're right. And you wake um, up feeling great. Yes. You wake up feeling so good. Uh, then and you don't need more the next day. No. Uh, the nadir for him is Sidewalks of New York. Right. That uh, one, he just said everything about this was a fucking turkey. I saw it on paper. I mean, this thing of him understanding, like, I've been studying audiences my entire life, right? It's in my is, fucking The setup doesn't make bones. sense. Right. right. Yeah, He's like, yeah. the setup doesn't work. People aren't going to buy into it. Execs are trying to pitch him on what's funny. And he just was like, I can't fight this thing. I can't fight City Hall. I know this thing's going to suck. There's nothing I can do to prevent it. Yeah. Uh, I think Sidewalk of New York leads into the Durante run, basically. He, he pisses everyone off so much that Louis Mayer is like, fine, fuck you. You are now second banana to right. Jimmy Durante. Right. He Durante is the plot driver in the movies, and he's kind of yeah. like the dumb best friend. Right. Uh, and uh, when making what? No beer? Yes. Uh, he Ironically, uh, a movie about prohibition. Right. He gets so shit-faced that he, like, falls asleep on set one night and, like, you know... It's in, it, when the film wraps production, MGM fires him. It is, it is the first time his alcohol gets in the way of his ability to shoot a day. Yes. Um, yes. So he, he, yeah. He gets fired. It, it, the story's even kind of worse in that he like stays up all night drinking, cannot get to sleep. Then he's so tired, he's like drinking a bunch of coffee and nothing's jolting him awake. And he's like, I've tried every, like, caffeine and stimulant. Maybe I should have another beer. So then he has a beer on top of it in the morning, and he passes out, and they cannot wake him up. Um, he's there in yes. his dressing room. That is the final straw. Right. That instant. And they they ride that and movie out. His contract is Then set. he's fired. And it, because of that rep that he's built up for himself, no one else wants him. Yes. No other studio. He goes to all of them. They don't want right. him. Uh, so he starts making the educational pictures shorts. Yes. Uh, makes 16 of them. He obviously has more control, but the budgets are low. Yeah. Uh, have you, you've seen some of those, yeah. you said. Yeah, they're, they're okay. I mean, it's him back to doing, it's the form of what he should be doing, but he's kind of broken right. at this he's point. He's really in a, in a valley. Because he doesn't meet Eleanor Keaton until after this. And Eleanor Keaton, who's his final wife, who he's with until his death, is the one who kind of brings it's him back to life. Uh, in 37, he goes back to MGM as a gag man. Yeah. Uh, works with the Marx Brothers, works with Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy. Biggest uh, collaborator is Red, Red Skelton. Yes. Who I don't know very well, but Red Skelton apparently remade The Cameraman as a film called Watch the Birdie. Yes. He also remade Spite Marriage. He remade yes. both a of movie these called movies. I Dude It. Yes. It's it's a wild, not a great title. No, it's a wild thing that there's a 10-year arc of him getting signed to MGM, being one of their biggest stars, bottoming out, going to like a fifth-rate company, making a bunch of shorts, and within that same 10-year period, comes back, is writing gags for $100 right. like a week for MGM to let other people remake, remake his, his films. movies worse, yes. Right. And by, by all accounts, he was sort of like... Um, I think he was sad, but he, like, a, a, in a deep existential way, it, just about his life. But he was stable. He was stable, and he also was just like, look, I never had an ego about this. I like that I'm just actually getting to write gags again. Right. I think to a certain degree, he preferred this to 
the end of his run starring in movies for MGM because it's like they're just slotting me in. I don't get to be funny. He prefers getting to sit down and come up with comedy and hand it to someone else than having someone give him shitty jokes that he has to let die on screen. Um, he goes to Columbia, does some two reelers for them. Yes. Uh, uh, some people say his best sound work is done there, I even though those think are also, so. right, yeah. you know, minor. Yeah. Uh, then he turns into old Keaton. That's when he's in the in the good old summertime in limelight. He's in Sunset Boulevard for a yes. minute. You know where he's, he's in the poker game, right? Where he's like this sort of venerable figure at this point, doing small supporting work. But the other thing is, I think uh, around the 1950s, his films start getting seriously reevaluated. There's a real serious reappraisal. He gets sort of like um, lashed onto by uh, the critical elite. Yes, and. Um, He's also on TV a lot. Yes, now. it's look. This is the whole thing. Yeah, TV needs time. P, need, TV needs stuff. Yes, brand new. He right. can play to a live audience. He had a Buster Keaton comedy show. He had two different shows, and then something which, called the Buster Keaton Show, both of which have really good shit in them. I bet they do. You can find uh, a lot of it online. There's also a Donald O'Connor starring biopic. That film him. is dog shit. Yes, that I think is very accurate. Uh, inaccurate, I would say. You're missing the in part of accurate. <laughs> he also wins an honorary Academy Award does. at and the end of the 50s. He, they give it to him before they give it to Chaplin, right? Uh, Am I wrong about this? That's a fair question. And I, David Sims, yeah. host of Blank Check, co-host, uh-huh. I'm going to find the answer for Please you right now. By clicking here and looking at the answer, which is, you are correct. Thank you. Because that uh, was... Won, yeah. Chaplin won an Academy an Honorary Award in 1972. That That's the big thing, is that even though Chaplin sort of stayed relevant for longer in terms of his current work, Buster started being taken more seriously sooner. Yeah. In sort of film history. Um uh, and this is the period where he 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 remarries. Um, not a spite marriage. Not a spite marriage. A marriage of true love. Um, but he also he would do like uh, television commercials. There's a great a Buster Keaton Alka Seltzer commercial. Yeah, he did a, a yeah yeah. Also that, some industrial films. Yes. Now all of this might sound sort of depressing for a guy who was at one time one of the greatest living sure. artists in film, right? Yeah. But there's something to the simplicity of in his final years. Being able to, like, TV commercials gave him an audience, but it also was just this format that allowed him to just be like, you have a minute, come up with something funny, you know? People started giving him a little more space to, in less prestigious uh, uh, frameworks, just do his thing. And it felt like there was an appreciation. He, He died, I think, feeling valued. Right. He died quite suddenly of lung cancer. His last film is a funny thing happened on the way of the forum, which he's um, actually a lot of he's fun in. Funny in that. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but um, and uh, you know, uh, is is celebrated as a legend on yeah. death. It's not like he's a forgotten star, you right. know. And then in 2023, Blank Check did a miniseries called Podcast Junior: The Final Indignity. <laughs> um, two things to do. Yeah. First is the box office came for Spite yep. Marriage, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wait, when did that film come out? Spite Marriage came out in March 1929. Okay. And so is it even on the charts here? No. no. But so I'll, we'll just do when it came out. Okay. Uh, sad, of course, that mm-hmm. it's not even on the charts. But yeah. uh, number one 
at the box office is another Clara Bow picture. Okay. Ooh. It's not it. No, it's neither it nor uh, Wings. Okay. Uh, it is about a fun thing you could do with her. And it's, of course, best. it's her first talkie. And it's the f- uh, one of the only films um, directed by a woman in that era. What a woman might have directed A thing it. you could do with her? Yeah. I don't know. That's a terrible clue. But it's directed by, come on, who's a woman who might have directed Clara Bow? Is it uh, Arsner? Dorothy Arsner. The great okay. Dorothy Arsner. Uh, uh, it's Clara Bow and Frederick March who had a great long career. It's called A Day in the Park. It's called The Wild Party. Oh, oh, sure. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, her talkie debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she, of course, is sort of like all the like John Gilbert supposedly had a high voice, right? Yes. Later in life, uh, later in Hollywood history, they're sort of like that wasn't the problem. No, his voice was fine. Clara Bow supposedly had a thick accent, kind of yeah. like a New Yorky accent or sure. whatever, and th- that was the initial problem. But it's right. like again, it's later people are like, no, that wasn't an issue. It's just no, whatever. I, it's funny. I do feel like that was more in theory that should have been more of an issue for Buster than it was, but no one talks about it that way. Um, yes. Because his uh, voice was very much not what you would have expected, but yet those talkie pictures did okay. I, yeah, and I believe the sequence in Babylon that is sort of the, you know, the college film Hello that's being college. made yeah. is kind of going off of, because Clara really struggled with the microphones and mm-hmm. they made like a sort of fishpole microphone so she could move around. Okay. Apparently the microphones kept exploding. Hey. They had a lot of problems back then. Okay, yeah. number two. Mm. The best picture winner. The second best picture the winner. The second best picture winner. The first Tonky to win best picture. Yes. You just watched it. I did. It was a recent watch. It was I, one of your I've, blind I'm spots. I'm done. I'm done. But was this one that you just recently plugged? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And does this one suck? Yeah. It, it's uninteresting. It's mostly a technical. Give me the genre. Musical. Uh, it's a Broadway Melody? The Broadway Melody. Yeah. Which is basically just kind of like a clip show of yes. a lot of different numbers. Sure. Uh, the Broadway Melody is the uh, best picture winner. Okay, number three at the box office. Ooh, good name. Mm. It's uh, let's see. It's a maybe one of the modern studios should do that with like TikTok. Like they should make a movie that's just big budget remakes of the hundred most popular TikToks and put it together. The wait, TikTok that sounds like something like Algae Rhythm was the TikTok review. <laughs> All right, this is a Wallace Beery film. Okay, it's not a Wallace Beery wrestling picture. Uh, no, it's not a wrestling picture, I don't think. Uh, okay. it actually has the subtitle or the alternate title, Tong War. Oh. Uh, to, to sort of draft off of the cameraman here. Yeah. Uh, so it's also kind of a gangster movie set in Chinatown. Okay, and so it I'm is guessing called, it's called Underworld Tong War. It is called Resident China- Evil Tong War. Chinatown Tong War? It's called Chinatown Nights. Oh, okay. Not bad. Tong War. Uh, number four at the box office is a silent... Romance, okay, uh, starring Gary Cooper hmm. and directed by Victor Fleming, uh, one people. of the most uh, famous filmmakers who ever lived. Yes, um, about a man who heads out west in 1840 looking for adventure and meets a group of mountain men who take him into the mountains to trap beavers and cats, mm-hmm. and then he meets a beautiful Mexican woman and they fall in love. I'm guessing, and it's he called... becomes torn between oh. his love for her and his desire for traveling. Okay. I'm. Th- thank you for uh, finishing because that's going to change my guess of the title. Here's one more thing. Yeah, this is a pre-code film. Okay, and you see Gary Cooper nude. Really? I think you just see his butt, but he washes in a river. Oh wow! Yeah, pretty what, cute. What if he flashes dick? 
Yeah, there's a five-minute unbroken shot of Gary Cooper's flaccid penis. I'm guessing Just this... swinging in the wind. I'm guessing this film is called Kiss Me or I'm Gonna Travel. It's called Wolf Song. Fuck. Kind of a cool name. Yeah. Uh, number five at the box office. Uh, it is a sports drama. Okay. Uh, apparently John Wayne had a minor role in it. Which a very sport? young John Wayne. I don't know. This film is completely lost. Okay. Uh, and it is about the kind of establishment you might visit in 1929 because alcohol is banned. The gym. It's called Speak Easy. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's the box office for that. And then now, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's time for our buster list. I think so too. I don't think we have anything else to do. You know what we have to do? Order lunch. Oh. Because we got another episode to do. We do. We have to do a commentary. What do you want? I don't know. I'm hungry. Something fast. Zah. Let's do our rankings first. Yes. Okay. Uh, Buster Keaton rankings. Yep. Do you want to go top to bottom or bottom to top? I always forget. Let's go bottom to top. Okay. David, you, want... you go first. Okay. I have my list locked in. So 12 films here. Out. Yeah. Number 12, I have college. Hmm. Yep. Number 11, I have spite marriage. Uh-huh. Number 10, I have go west. Mm-hmm. We're in the good zone now, though. Number nine, I have three ages. Yeah. Number eight, I have The Navigator. Mm -hmm. Seven, Battling Butler. Mm -hmm. Six, Our Hospitality. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like we're getting into the masterpiece zone. Yeah. Number five, Steamboat Bill Jr. Mm -hmm. Number four, Seven Chances. Mm -hmm. Number three, The Cameraman. Mm -hmm. Number two, The General. Mm -hmm. Sherlock Jr., number one. Uh, That's my list, and I'm sticking to it. Unless you criticize it, in which case I might fold like laundry. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, you know, it's the it, the question of objective favorite versus go for your heart, man. Uh, objective uh, best versus okay. I'm saying it's number twelve, spite marriage. Wow, you have it all the way at the bottom. Yeah, it's spite marriage versus college, right? I mean, those are the it's, two. That is that, so college at 11. Yeah. Okay. Battling Butler at 10. Okay. Oh, pretty low. Go Flat West at 9, here. although I do think Go West deserves some credit. You like the cow. I like the cow a lot. I yeah. think you can't oversell how good the cow is in the movie. Okay. Number eight, Three Ages. Yeah. Number sure. seven, The Navigator. Okay. Number six, Seven Chances. Oh, you have a little other than me? Sure. Yeah. Number five, Our Hospitality. Yeah. Now, this is the question of where the, do I the rank... The big four. Where do I rank the cameraman within this? I don't know. You can put it number one for all you want. I'm not going to put it at number one. I'm going to put it at number three. So That's I'm going to put it. the general at number four, Yeah. cameraman at number three, Steamboat Bill Jr. at number two, Sherlock Jr. at number one. I love it. The juniors have it. I think we have a fairly similar list. Yeah, but I think that top four is uh, kind of impeccable. And then I think, you know, I think everything but college and spite marriage, I highly recommend watching. Basically agree. And I think those are four complete as well. Yeah. Three Ages is the only one where I would kind of be like, that's more one you can get to once you've watched a lot of Buster yeah. and you kind of want to see him putting it together. Early. But the good bits in it are unbelievable. Good bits. You're, you're good not going to watch it and, and not enjoy it. We did a silent film star on Blank Check. We did. They said it couldn't be done. They, they did say it couldn't be done. The big wigs, the fat cats, my the internal island voices. banker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your, your imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Ben, what's your favorite buster? What is my favorite buster? Damn. Okay, well. Point Dexter? 
That's funny. You feeling hot? That's funny. Hot. Hot. Ben, are you really so steamed over this snake? It's just like a black cloud over your head. Fucking piss me off. No. Um, damn. I guess it's going to have to be Sherlock Jr. It's, yeah, it's the best. It's the best one. It's best. It's just perfect. There's perfect other contenders, thing. but that feels it's like the perfect thing. Yeah, and I got to I got to experience got to that in a theater. theater. Yeah, that is cool with a crowd, a hot That's crowd cool. too. They were laughing. Ben's wearing a gummo shirt, by the way. <laughs> he is wearing a gummo shirt. So mm-hmm. our Buster series is done. Yeah, and you guys know what is next. We're going right into it. It's mm. Park Chan Wook. You guys Park voted Chan-wook. for them. You voted for him. So here he is, the people's champion. He yeah. After defeating Bong Joon-ho by one whole vote, yeah. he will have a miniseries starting yeah. in June and stretching all the way through the end of August. And hey, here's the thing I don't like. Start of September. What? Our listeners on the internet assuming that we're just going to go straight from Park Chan-wook into Bong Joon-ho because he lost by one vote. This is a weird assumption you folks have made that and is. They kind of dropped that at a certain point. Right? There was the a plan. moment, no, they're still getting some of that. But they were like, well, you got to do both. We're like, we won't be we doing don't, both. We don't, in, fact, in fact, we don't got to do shit. And for any sleuths out there that look up the menu, yeah, it was expensive to begin with the restaurant. Okay, I was celebrating. A Unfortunately, special occasion. Ben, we can't cut it out because it's like peppered throughout the episode. The arc of this episode is Ben realizing he starts it as I hate these snooty rich people, and then realizing everyone's going to come away from this episode saying how much money did he spend on a Look, steak? You had is Ben the villain in a Buster Keaton? You, movie? you went to be. you went to what is I would say a fancy restaurant in New York City, and you yeah you got charged yeah. fancy fancy. You I feel like know. no, I feel like you're the Buster Keaton character who tried to play high society. Society and right. got hoisted Bit by your own petard. Big time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's funny and relatable. Let's get something cheap for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you want? Dollar Dumplings. pizza. <laughs> Dumplings. You can do better than dollar pizza. <laughs> Dumpling sounds all right. One loaf of Wonder Bread. <laughs> Just beans. Just a big, big can, can of, of beans. beans. A communal can of beans with one we'll spoon. Just, we'll set up a little fire in the middle here. Yeah. We'll just oh. roast it. Yeah. All right. I got a pee. Okay. I know I end a lot of episodes that way, but it's nonetheless true. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else. Uh, Any more uh, that you want, want to, to say, say? As, we, as we push Buster? In terms of wrapping stuff up? No, I hope you've all enjoyed watching these. It's been, I, I, I have. It's, it's been truly so heartening to me to see people watch these movies. I agree. I was worried that even if listeners stayed on, they would stay on just to listen to us describe them and not actually watch them. And my favorite thing is seeing people go like, oh, I laughed watching this. I found it funny. And uh, uh, when Ben and I saw Sherlock Jr., you said to me, Ben, you were like, there's this whole world of comedy I've just never opened myself up to. Yeah. Um, And I'm way more open to silent movies as well as just dipping back more often and looking at classic film. And I just think, as I've, I've made this point probably too many times across the last six weeks, I think you see the influence of of these films, these 12 movies we discussed, ripple directly into our world today. You know, the DNA of so much of um, commercial uh, genre filmmaking is in the things that Buster sort of uh, crystallized. And especially our language of comedy. It's I one think, of my favorite artists of all time. Right. And I think he's pretty good. Six out of ten. Yeah. Him, Fozzie Bear. Yeah. Anyone else? That was probably the two. Those two. Greatest comedic idols, Buster and Fozzie. Um, thank you all for listening. It means a lot. 
Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to Joe Bone and Pat Rounds for our artwork. Uh, after some uh, demand requests, we made a shirt available of uh, Pat's uh, design that was so good uh, for this miniseries. Yes. So, uh, we'll be putting that out. There'll be at a, some point. a pre-order window. Yes. Uh, keep your eyes open for that. Uh, it's probably on for a little while now. Uh, thank you to AJ McKean, Alex Barron for our editing, JJ Birch for our research, Lynn Montgomery, Lynn Montgomery, and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon blank check special features, where we go through film series and other bonus. Stuff, if you haven't listened to the Dana Stevens shorts episode and you're ever going to give our Patreon a shot, even if only for one month, I highly recommend that one. And we're uh, finishing up our Planet of the Apes series right now, getting ready to do People's Champion, March Madness winner, uh, Ocean's Eleven, which should be ring-a-ding-ding, a lot of fun. We also just like, constantly want to remind people there's the free membership option on Patreon right now where you can sign up. Every 10 days, we unlock an episode from three years ago. We're unlocking all our 2020 Patreon content, and all the 2019 content is unlocked. At some point in the future, you'll be able to also get a private RSS feed for the free episodes. But in the meantime, you can sign up, get notifications, all of that. Uh, We're in, in the middle of a Toy Story. We're in the middle of Toy Story. Deep pandemic Toy Story. There's Early good stuff. lockdown Toy Story. There's good stuff. Yeah. For sure. Uh, you want to hear me go off about four movies I'm I, uh, I'm almost sexually attracted to? <laughs> a perverse obsession? What is he talking about? Uh, the Toy Story franchise? All right. Um, uh, tune next week for the beginning of uh, Park Jam Rock. Yep. Uh, we're doing it. his first two films, My Moon is the Sun's Dream and Trio, which are very hard to find. Yes. So we're just kind of uh, bundling them together. Right. Uh, and then after that, they're all one movie yes. per episode. We're back to singles. Yes. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye forever. And as always, I'm holding up an inner title card that says the end. There's not a, like these movies suck. Oh, you didn't like Cameraman? No. Wow. wow. Okay. I didn't like I'm, with, I'm with you on Spite Marriage. I didn't like Cameraman though for a very personal. Save it for the mic. Yeah, you got to save that for the mic. All right, you got to take here.